All right, we're going live here in a few minutes with uh, Joe Ken, Coach House, um, from the uh, the Carolina Panthers. He's Carolina Panthers strength coach. Coach House has been a uh, strength conditioning coach for many, many decades now, and uh, he's somebody who's on top of his game. He's one of the most sought-after strength conditioning coaches in the world, um, but he doesn't have time to be sought after. He's got to work. He's got to put in work, and he's got to get the Carolina Panthers on the map. Um, Joe has become a, a close friend of mine, somebody I associate with quite a bit. I admire him um, not as a professional in the fitness industry or in strength conditioning. I admire him as a man. He's 50 years old. He's still deadlifting 500 pounds. He still trains very hard. He treats himself like a professional. All the things that he teaches his, um, his athletes to do, he's in there doing that and then some. Uh, he's doing all the stretches, all the breathing techniques. He's doing anything and everything he can to be the best that he can be. Um, you know, I don't know his personal life, um, but uh, it appears that he's also uh, an awesome family man. Um, you can only see what you see from the outside, you know, sometimes on stuff like that. But he's got some kids that are excelling in, in athletics and academics as well. Uh, I admire that side also. Um, I think it's great. When you see posts from people that aren't always just about themselves, when they're about the people that they love and they're about the people, it's, you know, some of the posts are about some of the people that they actually care about um, that are in their lives as well. And so Joe Ken is that kind of person where he's throwing up posts of his son, uh, getting new uh, shot put records and all different kinds of things like that. Um, before we, before we jump on a call, I wanted to also say that uh, uh, Joe Ken has had a very special impact on a lot of, on a lot of men. And, uh, I think it's a great thing as a coach, everybody needs a mentor and uh, coach house. Joe Ken, uh, is known, uh, specifically for being that kind of mentor. He's known, uh, around the world for being that kind of person that, that shapes men's minds and, and turns them into men. Um, one of them being Gigantor, the six foot eight, 435 pound, uh, world's strongest man, athlete, Brian Shaw. And another one being Kyle Kingsbury, just to name a few, like these are just few guys that come to my mind. But I remember in doing this podcast for many years now, I, I recall running into a lot of people where I say like, what motes, what motivates you? What's behind this? What's this drive? Where's this coming from? And they'll say, oh, I worked with Coach House at ASU. <laughs> Coach House uh, was at ASU for seven years. He's been at the Carolina Panthers for many years now. And uh, he's going to share his story with us today. Let's get him on the horn there, Andrew. Hello? What's up, Joe Ken, a.k.a. Coach House? What's going on, bud? What's up, Mark Bell, a.k.a. Smelly, Meathead <laughs> Millionaire? Hey man, I'm super, super fired up to have you here on the show. And, uh, I was just sharing with people, uh, the impact that you've had on people, not just as a coach, but as, as, as a mentor, um, we've had Gigantor, Brian Shaw on the show. We've had Kyle Kingsbury on the show and they gave high, high praise for you. They were just like, man, I wouldn't know half the stuff I know today if it wasn't for Joe Ken whipping us into shape. What are you yeah, doing? Well, uh, what are you doing to some of these guys first, to to get to gain that kind of uh, command? I don't know. I guess it's a gift, 
but uh, when you have really good people who want to be the best, uh, as you know, it's a lot easier to motivate the motivated. It's hard to uh, motivate the unmotivated person. And fortunately for me and my journey and strength, I've been very blessed to be surrounded with people who have been highly motivated and just took a liking to the, my processes and the way that I would give them the opportunities to succeed. We were going to have your wifey on the podcast today, but she's a little under the weather. But uh, I think that the family aspect of all this is important too. You know, being a uh, being a coach of any kind is extremely time consuming. How in the world have you been able to make all this work? You you've been a coach for how many years now? I'm going. I'm, uh, this is, I think, year thirty as coaching. Yeah, oh my, my god, how old are you? <laughs> Fifty one. There we go. Oh man, man. Thirty, 30 years said, of coaching. If wow. If you need her to come up, yeah. If you need her to come up, she'd be more than happy to come up. But uh, yeah. a big, uh, she's she's the rock of the family first and foremost. Um, I'm extremely fortunate. I tell every young coach that's coming through that it's very very important if you have a significant other that they understand that coaching is not your typical nine to five job that you're used to seeing your parents have where they're going to be at the same place for the same amount of time and accomplish a 50 year retirement party and get a gold watch. It <laughs> right. doesn't happen in coaching. So you have to be, you, your partner has to be somebody who understands that and, and realizes that it's going to be slightly atypical than the standard, you know, live at your hometown, live down the street from your mom and dad, uh, grandparents around to help raise your kids. A lot of times, depending on where your travels are, it's just you and your wife and you're looking around and the, the nearest relative is 3,000 miles away. So it's extremely important. And she keeps it, she keeps it real a hundred percent of the time and keeps me grounded. I mean, she, she was the first one that, you know, really set it to the point where, Hey, you got to leave work at, you got to leave work at work. And when you come home, it doesn't matter how tired you are. You know, you got two sons that need you and you better be there for them a hundred percent, just like you are your athlete. So it's a, it's extremely hard. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And uh, now uh, at this point in your, in my career, my, my kids are older, but now I've got grandkids. So they're, but now I'm chasing around little, little grandkids wow. around the house. So it's fun. It's a, it's a cool deal. It is extremely hard. If, if anyone tells you uh, a co coach's family is easy, they they probably have been very, very fortunate to be punkered down in one place for a long period of time and being able to establish themselves in, in the community to a point where it wasn't worth making the trips around the world trying to, to look for something that's... A lot of people look for certain things and they're looking for the grasses, the grass is greener. And, and I think a lot of times that backfires, I, I've, I've moved, but nowhere near as much as some other people I know. And then, and then more than others, uh, I, I just felt like in my career and the things that I wanted to accomplish, there were certain things and certain challenges that I, that I had put in front of me from a career wise, that it was important for me to make certain professional moves to see if the things that I believe in can be transferred over to a totally different uh, clientele or, or slash athlete.
What you mentioned about, you know, greener, greener pastures basically uh, is interesting because, you know, that, that can come in so many different forms. But when I'm talking to people and I'm telling them, uh, hey, we're trying to put up points on the scoreboard, um, I'm referring to it in, in many different ways. And actually what I've learned over the years is that there's, there's more than one scoreboard. You know, you got your scoreboard at work, you're putting up points over there, and that's where you buckle down, you get tough with the guys, you make sure everybody's doing all their stuff, you're getting all your stuff done, your staff is getting everything done, the athletes are in the shape that you want, that's you putting up points at at, uh, at work. Those points don't transfer over. <laughs> you can't you can't take those points home with you and be like, hey, I'm the man. And uh, when you get home, you no longer have any responsibilities. You don't have to take out the garbage, you don't have to help... Uh, uh, clean up the kitchen. You don't have to help cook. You don't have to help get the kids to school. None of those points matter, right? One hundred percent. I mean, it's funny said because because my my uh, wife constantly reminds me sometimes when I come <laughs> home and you're walking around like you're still in coach speak, and she'll say, "You're you're not with your cronies right now. You're at home. <laughs> you got you got home things to be done." So yeah, it's a it's a crazy crazy balance and. And you can get caught up in it because the, the the athletic, I mean, it's no different than, you know, you guys training at super training and guys are, you know, you're on a roll. Guys are PR and left and right. The camaraderie's high. You're all fired up. You're in that like meathead madness and you walk home and you're trying to walk around with your chest out there. Your your family ain't worrying about who set records. They want to know <laughs> you're going to be their dad when you're eating dinner at night. I mean. Yeah, and something else I share with people too is yeah, something else I share with people too is uh, you know, people want to try to make things complicated, and they talk about quality time. I I don't think it's about quality time. I think it's about quantity time. Like literally, just being there. Sometimes you're not doing anything. Sometimes one kid's off in the other room. Your wife's watching her show. You're watching your TV show, and uh, the other kid's taking a dump or something like that. You know, it it doesn't have to always be that there's this big planned out trip to Disneyland or there's this big thing planned out. Just be, everybody's just there. And when it's time for a 10 minute walk pops up, then maybe everybody goes for a walk or it's time for dinner. Everybody comes together for dinner. It doesn't have to be this big uh, planned out thing. That's um, so difficult, you know? And, and, and I'm like the king of that. Like my, like uh, my wife sometimes, like I'm like, I'm one of those, I just need to be home around you guys. I mean, right. I, I, I can sit on the couch all week and just watch people run around me. Now, I got, <laughs> I, you know, and I've learned I have to do a better job of being more of a participant on things that, you know, if we want, if my wife wants to do something, it, it's a tough, it's tough. And, and she's, um, I, I tell people all the time, I mean, she's the rock. I mean, she holds, you know, she holds it all as men were all together for us as men. We can be pretty selfish. And I think uh, a lot of times we're like, well, you know, we're the breadwinner. We did all the work. We did this, this, and this, and we're not even, we're just not smart enough. I think sometimes to recognize <laughs> what the woman has been doing all day long. Uh, my wife is, is similar to yours. It sounds like where she's a real taskmaster. She can handle 10, 20, 30 things in a day. I can handle like two and then I'm done. Like, okay, podcast lift. I'm, <laughs> and I'm out cold by nine o'clock from that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's unique. And like, for me, I always go back to when people, you know, like somebody asked me, Martin Rooney asked me what my why was. And I said, I owe, I owe a lot of people. I owe 
there's a lot of people while I'm here. And, uh, oh, see, Mark, you got such on a good topic. My wife just came up, so I'm going to put it on speaker so you can Absolutely. hammer her just as much as you would hammer me. Hold on one second. Well, Mark, you there? I'm here. I'm glad that you were uh, able to make it on the podcast, Angie. Well, I didn't know there was going to be hammering going on. <laughs> hammering out some questions over here. That's what we're doing. We got them in the hot seat. I'm basically well, what trying. What I was saying is, uh, when I say I owe, the biggest person I owe, obviously, is Ann, because no, no one really knows how our first story. She was the primary breadwinner for the our first eight years while I worked at Boise State. And if it wasn't for her allowing me to pursue my dream to, to accomplish goals and aspirations in coaching, we we wouldn't be where we are today. So uh, I think people like we were talking about the family life and and partnership and and your and your spouse or your significant other knowing how how difficult it is and how the how the world changes in coaching that it allows things like that to occur. Angie, what was some of that time like uh, with Joe? Like, um, you know, his his start in the beginning with like Boise State, him having to put in so many hours and uh, not making uh, tip top dollar. So I think we lost him. I'm gonna get him right back on the horn. Oh, he's, we lost yeah. him for a second. Sorry about that, house. We lost you, buddy. His fat fingers hung up. I was the phone. fat fingered it. <laughs> yeah. Hello. Yeah. Hey, man, I think your fat fingers hung up, Joe. Now, well, what happened was my son is throwing, and she just tried to call us, and I kind of screwed it up. But, <laughs> yeah, my wife will take over for that one. <laughs> what yeah. were the early years like? Is that the question? Yeah, basically, what were the early years like, you know, when you were uh, when you were putting in your work, and, uh, you know, he wasn't making a whole lot. Did you think that uh, there was going to, you know, be someone who was going to come down and say, hey, we're going to... Joe, we're going to put you with the Arizona Cardinals or we're going to do something big for you. Like, what were those years like? Yeah, you know, I'm, I always say it starts way before that. You have to choose wisely when you start to think about a mate in life. And um, I always knew he would be successful. I never doubted it for a day because I could tell by the kind of guy he was on the uh, playing field and all the dedication he put into that. So I never had a doubt. It never bothered me at all. Come from a really hardworking family. And so that that never was a problem. I am always surprised because today we've gotten away with some things that you could never have gotten away with, uh, could get away with today. Like we had our first child and my husband was coaching with my son and a baby Bjorn (laughs) while I was working. I have no idea why Boise State allowed that. And it, then there were times when he was bing-bonging around the weight room and one of those baby walkers. He grew up in the weight room. There's just no way they would allow that today <laughs> right? Um, for liability reasons. But, you know, everything kind of came into play the way it needed to. I never had a doubt. It was just a matter of working it. And I knew the kind of person he was. I knew he wouldn't give up. I knew he was smart. I knew that he was always constantly driving to learn and do even in his sleep you could see his cogs of his brain going so um you know there were hard times but we are simple we live simple we never tried to keep up with everybody and so therefore we didn't put a lot of stress on ourselves we 
drove the same car, a 76 Monte Carlo, <laughs> had duct tape holding on, not duct tape, athletic tape. Yeah, you put tape on the uh, athletic tape. room. Holding on the rear view, the side view mirror. We didn't care. We were just, you know what? We, we, made, we kept things simple. We believed in each other. We chose wisely. We focused on the right things. He continued to get just more and more knowledge because that was going to catapult him forward. And, you know, that's kept it strong and good for us. And my wife and I have lived a similar life where we've had, uh, you know, we had this just old beat up minivan and uh, I was having a rough day one day and I was just frustrated with about 97 different things. And I punched the steering wheel of our crappy van and the horn proceeded to not only go off, but stay on uh, as I drove down the freeway with two screaming, crying babies in the back when I was uh, left alone with them, the wifey had to go do something that night and i found out what an what an yeah what a nightmare it was to uh try to watch two babies not not a not a lot of fun <laughs> um you had a much better appreciation oh absolutely joe told me a great story when he was at my house about uh um you know going around the country and uh you know starting out on the west coast and how he kind of made a promise to you about how he wanted to get back towards the east coast what was some of that journey like moving around maybe shifting kids in and out of school and and stuff like that you know i grew up really poor and with a single mom so i was always moving and that never bothered me um being stagnant bothered me mm. and i always felt like my kids Schooling wasn't going to get in the way of their education. And also, all those moves, as long as we handled it right, got them involved and got involved with the community, they would be able to handle those things and also be stronger, better for it. So, um, though I didn't love, you know, it wasn't really the West Coast. It was one step in from the West Coast. So we went from Idaho to Utah. To, to Arizona, I always knew I wanted to be back home where family was, and um, that was always the goal, but we always seemed to just keep moving south instead of east. So, <laughs> so we always, we got south and we never got east, and that's why, uh, that was a big reason why when the Louisville opportunity came up, that was a that was the decision that had a lot of positives from the professional standpoint but it also got us as close as we'd ever been to North Carolina where both our families were at that time. So that made that decision a lot easier. It was a little tougher on our oldest son because he was in the midst of just starting high school, which is extremely tough as a high school athlete moving. Yeah. He must've been pretty mad. Oh huh? uh, yeah. It was an interesting time, but then we had to move him again because I wind up getting fired in two years. So it was a, Interesting, uh, interesting little journey during that era, during that time period, the Louisville slash private sector yeah, but we, business we, deal. We always really try to keep them in check. And, you know, we'd say, yes, yeah, hard. And I know it's hard, but you have to have some perspective. One of your parents isn't headed to the Middle East to fight a war. You know, your mom and dad are going to be around for the most part. You know, you don't have to worry if you're ever going to see them again. So have some perspective about what other people go through um, to make a living and to attain success, not only for ourselves, but for you also. And it was, there are times I'm sure it was harder than we realized, 
and they've learned to adapt. Um, but I think perspective was, we focused on them keeping a good perspective. How have you guys made this work out relationship wise? How do you, how do you get some time? I mean, there's, you know, um, you know, with my own family, I having very two kids. Wife. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very forgiving wife. Like I, I just let things, um, I am, I am definitely the head of the house. Wouldn't you say that? Yes, I said that. Because I'm the one that's here. When you're the one that's here, you have to, even if you don't necessarily want to be. Um, But for the most part, I know what kind of person he is. I like him as a person. But we're not best friends. But we're not best friends. That's That's definitely not best (laughs) friends. I don't want to be his best friend. I don't want to talk about this thing all day long. He doesn't want to talk about dogs all day long. We have our own separate worlds, but when we do come together, we're we're just forgiving. Like it, you know, there are some big deals periodically that will come up that you have to address and you have to say your piece or you have to make a stand. But the little daily things, you say you say a little thing here, there, and you go on, you move on. We just really don't carry a lot of that. We just made a decision. We didn't want to be those kind of people. Like people would say to me. How can you trust your husband? He's traveling all over. He's a handsome guy. And I'd go, yeah, I mean, I feel like I know where he's at all the time. If he's going to do something, he's going to do something. I'm either lifting or sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) He's not very good at being covert. You know, I know just about everything he does. I'd find out eventually. And then, you know, that's not, I don't think he's ever been willing to risk that. And then I've always told him, so if you had somebody new, you just, yeah, be good for a while, but then you just get the same old me again. You just have another wife that you have to go through and break in and do all that. It's not even worth it. We just have always, we like each other. We knew who we were when we married each other. We haven't changed from that. We've forgiven each other our little shortcomings, the big deals we we work through. And we let each other go do what we want to do and then just, you know... Has, has he ever turned into the uh, coaching monster that he is uh, on the field uh, with your kids? Um, uh, no. Oh, well, no. Yeah, we, no, he used to come I, home I, and say, hold I, on, I hold on. He did not. Stop it. He used to come and go, why doesn't anybody listen to me? Why won't anybody? Nobody respects me. I'm like, honey, we're, we're, not your, we're, not your, we're not your team. We're not your cronies. We're not your... Your groupies for your family, you know. Yeah, I got the same thing at my house. No one's scared of me at all. (laughs) It's pretty bad. But yeah, there have been a couple times I've had to yank him back from overtraining the kids. My son had a hundred and four temperature once. He was deathly ill, and then I'm looking for him, and I see he's got him out in the garage training, and I'm like, uh, 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 Arizona, hundred twenty degrees. Yeah, it's not happening. Get back here. And then uh, I'll tell you this too. uh, Mark, one of the things that my wife always said about our travels was that she really felt that that was a good learning experience. Like my wife, like she said, I wasn't going to let school affect their education. The the diversity and the and ethnicity that they got to see by hanging out in those weight rooms all those years, because a lot of times in, in some of the places we lived, it was it was highly populated by one socioeconomic type of person and they always got a real life feel of hanging out in the weight room and seeing a multi-diverse and ethnic uh, environment and community. Right. They got to see their dad treat everyone the same. Yeah. 
That's that's huge. Yeah, and they can they can blend in anywhere. They yeah, can. like my two sons, they yeah. you could they could be they in a lot look. of different spots, and you oh, yeah. they could fit right in. Especially my oldest. They go to the hood to friends whose dad land helicopter in the backyard. They <laughs> they have no problem mingling and figuring out where to be and how to act in each of the situations. So, <laughs> so uh, Mark, you can ask my wife. She remembers when Giganto wasn't the the Giganto is now would come to oh, our yeah. garage and lift weights with us. Just a baby-faced little boy. <laughs> that's, how, that's how I remember him. Just a very sweet, mild-mannered, quiet guy. And now he's the monster we all call yeah. Gigantor. I had no <laughs> idea it was doing, what was doing underneath the surface. None. Joe, give me give me the back give me the background on Brian Shaw. How did how did some of that come to be? Yeah, so we can even give you the name. We can give you everything. So. We we start, we were one of the first schools that really I think did a really good job at Arizona State of putting together a curriculum based internship program for rising strength coaches and we it was it was a non paid it was completely voluntary and we would go through a we were more we were more stringent hiring interns than we were some of our our paid coaches because it was a serious commitment we're asking Utah uh, this is Arizona State. Oh. 15 we're at, we're asking you know 15 weeks of your commitment where you can't get a job to make money you're it's a it's a 6 a.m or earlier to 6 p.m five day a week position and your your goal is to acquire enough experience and hopefully in the eyes of the people you're working for a couple of references to help you get a job so our part of our process was you had to send in videos of you coaching an athlete going through lifts. So my my assistant at the time who was running some of that, Josh Storms, who's now the head strength and conditioning coach for the Memphis Tiger football team, comes in to me and goes, hey, I think we got, uh, this is paraphrase, hey, I think we got a really good intern, and I don't know what he looks like. <laughs> I go, well, what do you mean you don't know what he looks like? You got the video. He says, the guy's so big, his head's not in the video. He's some type of gigant or something. And I said, well, we're bringing that guy in for sure. <laughs> and the day he walked in, he, he was 325 pounds, and we nicknamed him Gigantor, and he just morphed into his – he morphed into that nickname quite well, I would say. And he, he – I'll tell you this. He, you can see when you listen to him on – on his podcast or on your podcast or on interviews, how meticulous and detailed he is with his training. And, and forget the fact that he's a freak athlete. They're all freak athletes. Right. You don't win what he's won numerous times without proper training. And that goes all the way through through the nutrition and the sleep. He would have been one hell of a strength coach. There's, there's just no doubt about it. And in some ways he is now coaching his online program right. and, coaching his training partners, but if if he would have stuck with that career, he would have been as successful as he is as a strong man. And I, but I in the end, I'll always say this about uh Brian. When we really first met him and Ben Hilger, who's the head strength coach at Virginia Tech, I'm name dropping now, Smelly. <laughs> um he he told us both, he was like I'm going into strong. I'm going into strong man, and I am going to be the world's strongest man. Wow! And that was the 
I mean, that was what, 2000, had to be around 2003 or four, somewhere in that area, because Josh and Ben were still working with me. You hear so a lot of guys talk. That, did, you hear a lot of guys talk. Did you kind of like, were you a little taken back by that? Like, oh, that was weird. Or did you think, hey, man, maybe he actually will be? You know what? I didn't, you know, like anything else. I mean, here the guy is. He's interning to be a strength coach. He's talking about being world's strongest man. And you're like, but you could tell he was in it. And then when he, when he left, when he left us to go back home for, I think it was a personal reason. The next thing you know, he's entering contests and winning everything he stepped into. And I'm like, <laughs> holy crap, man, this dude is on a mission. And then the next thing you know is what? Very first world's strongest man. He was on the podium, I think. Brian Shaw wants to know how cleaning his van made him a better strength coach. Or cleaning, clean, cleaning yeah, or cleaning your van, yeah. Here's why, and this is what I tell everybody. It's just no different than cleaning my shaker bottles as well as picking up my lunch. If you cannot do little things meticulously, how can I trust you coaching athletes? How can I trust you designing a program and I've got to put a team of 30 or 40 athletes entrusted in you that I oversee and I'm going to give you the ownership to be creative on your own if you can't do trivial tasks to perfection. I That's truly believe that. That's the way I – I mean, if a guy comes in and you tell – like if you told little Smokey to go pick you up lunch and he brought in the wrong order, do you really think he's he's listening hard to your – to your right. consumers when they're calling him to place orders, no, he's probably looking on Facebook. <laughs> he told me to bust your ball, Smelly, so I'm busting his. He texted me and said, "Hey, bust Mark's ball. Let's <laughs> bust smoke." <laughs> that's that's great. I'm gonna have to have a conversation with him because he messes up my orders uh, all the time. <laughs> Joe and uh, Angie, walk us through, you know, the process of you guys uh, moving around the country. Like, where did this, uh, let's just kind of back it way up to like, how'd you guys meet? Oh, that's an issue. Uh -oh. Here we go. Getting in trouble. Yeah. He kept, his friend was dating my friend and he kept asking to meet me. And he, every time she, we were, we were at a bar and it was a place we always went. Every time I went to go over and say hi, he was gone. He wasn't there. And I kept thinking, my friend's trying to push this guy on me. <laughs> so after the third time, I said, enough, that's enough. He was hiding in the bathroom. Every time I, he would run to the bathroom and hide, because I guess I was just magna magnanimous and just fantastic. He couldn't, you know. Right. So then he meet, he wants to meet me another night. Um, and I'm talking to him, and at least 30 minutes, he hasn't said a word. He's just staring at people playing pool. So I leave, and I go speak to my friend's boyfriend, and apparently that had him going, thinking I was talking to another guy, and he just stared me down for about a half hour, inching his way closer and closer toward me, and then finally stood right in front of me and my friend had to introduce himself. Because he was and, scared. <laughs> yeah, and, no, and then my husband grabbed my hand and took me like a caveman. That was about, really, that, that's our love story right there. <laughs> Never looked. Where'd you guys yeah. meet? You, like, like what uh, what yeah, state were you in? What's the film? Yeah, I was, I was a, what year was that, 87. So I was a junior in college, and my wife was, a rich, that's where she and her family were from, and, uh, got lucky that uh, my good friend that I played with was 
dating the the girl that he was, and I I saw when I saw how this I mean you guys people think things are corny. When I when I walked in the club that night, I did pass her, and I was like, wow. And then who would have thought that like the the woman you see, you like that that right there, that's special. And then next thing you know, you're married, going on 29 years this June. My favorite part of the story is Coach House in a club. That's my favorite part of the story right there. I can't. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I, hard time envisioning yeah, okay, that. Okay, so let, yeah. let's, let's back up. So there, there's, you know, I'm, I'm, you're from New York and I'm from New York. Yep. So we're, and in the end, that's the city that never sleeps. Winston-Salem, North Carolina, you can call that the dead sleep city because that's the city that always sleeps. <laughs> so when we, when we were in college in the mid-80s, there was very, very little places to go in Winston. A lot of times we would drive to Chapel Hill and hang out at North at, at Chapel Hill at the University of North Carolina. So where where we were, there was one club and then across the street was like this biker bar that just served beer and chili dogs <laughs> and we shot pool. That's where I hung out. And they closed it down, so I had to start going across the street. If they never closed it down, I may have never met my wife. <laughs> You'd still be eating chili dogs. Chili dogs and drinking bush light for a dollar <laughs> and just shooting pool all night. So you, you <laughs> played uh fo- you played football at uh, Wake Forest, right? That's correct. And then how did things progress from there? You went to school, got education, and then uh where where do we end up going from there? So again, I was extremely fortunate that I had enough skills at that time to, to earn an athletic scholarship to go to college. If that wouldn't have been the case, uh, I would have wound up being on the sanitation district number one with my dad. So I, I had really, really good high school coaching to, to give me the skills to really excel as a high school football player in the early 80s. The other, the other positive I had going my way was my dad went to the same high school I did. My high school coach played football with my dad at that high school that my high school coach actually dated my mom before my dad started dating her and got married. So they were extremely close and it was, I I couldn't do bad in school because my dad knew all the teachers and he had my grades before I had them. And he was not a super good student, so he wasn't going to allow me to be a poor student. And I was fortunate enough that with my grades and my abilities that I had, I got to choose where I went to school. I chose Wake for a lot of reasons. Uh, I was fortunate enough that another Lawrence graduate is Lyle Alzado, a famous football player. And obviously, absolutely a lot of, later in life, he got he got uh, into. You know, he, he came clean and took a big hit for it, but uh, I, I will backtrack and say I, I was I trained with him several times, and, and we all know the the positives and negatives of uh, of steroids, and it's more of abuse and use, and we can talk about that at a different time. But no one worked harder than he did, and that was a big thing where we came from was just outworking everybody else. So I picked Wake because I'm not. It wasn't because of the academics, although it's one of the toughest schools in the nation. It was, I was going to be a big fish in a little pond, and I was going to the NFL. I mean, there was no delusion to grandeur at that time. It was, 
I, I had a very good visit set up. Uh, Syracuse was, was a big offer for me, University of South Carolina, and wait for my final three choices. But when it was all said and done, it was like, okay, where can you go start the fastest, enhance your football career, and give yourself the best opportunity to play in the NFL? Because I'm a big believer in, to this day, and a coach told me this in recruiting, if you ask a high school senior that's getting offered scholarships what their ultimate goal is, if they don't tell you they want to be an NFL football player, I don't know if they're really prepared for what you're asked to do as a Division One football player. Mm. Now, obviously, we all know you get washed out. It's just the best of the best of the best play at the NFL level. And every year that I'm fortunate enough to watch these guys, the more enamored and the more just in awe I am of the capabilities that they can that they do at this level. So for me, my 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 delusion that Granger got cut short because I blew my knee out as a freshman in spring ball, and back then the surgeries and the rehabilitation process were nothing like they are now. So I wanted to pair an ACL and MCL. And long story short, I had five knee surgeries in the first three years. I got very very fortunate that I was at least able to scrap scratch a career together and wound up starting my last two years as an offensive lineman after going there as a defensive lineman. By then, I already knew the I already knew I was going to be a strength coach. I knew at 19 years old that this is this is my deal. I love training more than I love practice. I love being around the weight room. I just loved everything there was of it. And a lot of that's back to my high school coach, Rich Mallo, because we had an organized we had organized weightlifting as a high school football team in 1981 and 82 and 83, no one was doing that. Mm. So it just all kind of morphed for me. And so we knew we wanted to be a coach. My wife was signed up for it. She understood it. And the great thing about it was my wife was one of my best training partners at that time. Um, she was uh, committed to the fullest. There wasn't a time that I didn't want to say, Hey, let's go for a run or let's go in the weight room that she wasn't there. Right. But, she was my first real powerlifting coach. To this day, she is the most critical of my depth on the squats than anybody I've ever had. <laughs> she'd walk in the weight room and go... Accurately critical. Yeah, she'd be like, why are you letting them squat that high? Uh, I'm afraid to tell them. You can't be afraid to tell them. She would tell my, she would tell my assistant that when we were no, at boys. Nobody would tell him. I'd have to tell him, and then he would get mad at them for not saying anything. So I knew right away I wanted to coach, and I got real fortunate. My wife said it's one of our best jobs ever so we a former coach at Wake Forest got a head football coaching job at a prep school down in Fort Lauderdale Pinecrest Prep and after his first year there my wife and I were getting married I had just graduated college I knew I wasn't going to the NFL I was declared a medical reject so I was like well I'm going into coaching I'm not even going to try to attempt blah blah blah, blah. it wasn't working I'm going right into coaching he, he he offered us a position as dorm supervisors, and I went down as the offensive line coach to defensive line coach to tight end coach, long snapper coach, weight coach, head wrestling coach, and then my wife and I were dorm supervisors. So I didn't have any teaching responsibilities. Just 7 through 12th yeah, was, was Yeah, 7 through 12th graders lived in the dorm, and this was oh, affluent. Yeah, like princes of countries, people in the witness protection programs. Wow. It was crazy. 
It was nerve-wracking, too, because, as you know, Mark, you, you put yourself out there numerous times with the slingshot and things like that. So I go down to Coach Spring Ball, and here I am driving to Florida in my 76 Monte Carlo from North Carolina, and all I'm thinking of, I put all my eggs in this basket of coaching. God, I hope I can coach. <laughs> like, yeah. I hope I have something that just resonates with these kids. And I'll never forget our first day of drills. I walked out there, and maybe it's because I just finished playing, and we were a small two-way school, so I'm like probably one of the biggest guys they had ever seen. And it just worked. It clicked from the beginning. And I knew I was not going to be a, a grass coach. I called football coaches coaching on the grass. I knew that was not part of me. I'd seen what college coaches, and now at the pros, the 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 it's totally different. My 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 world has a lot more. Uh, continuity and and a little bit more organization than than a, a football coach does. So I I knew I I knew I wasn't going to be on the grass, but it was a great start for me to learn how to coach, be around people, uh, learn learn how my personality was going to be one of my my saving graces with people. And then I got fortunate enough that. I excelled in, in the programming of, of the weight room stuff. And I knew after two years, it was time for me to get back into the college realm. I was not prepared to go back to grad school right after I graduated. See, but college. you're moving, he's leaving things out. Like he never stopped thinking and learning. And that first year that we were dorm parents, I, I go over to our desk. We have this little apartment inside the dorm. And I go over to our desk and there's like, three-inch stack of paper, and he's written a book. I have no idea when he's written this book, because I'm around him all the time. I'm like, what's this? He's like, I wrote a book. And I don't even know what you titled it, but it was... Well, we brought it with the, We brought it to us on the interview to Texas Christian that time. <laughs> but so he's always going. He's always thinking about it. He's always preparing. I always say, even, even when he lifts for the day, if anybody knew what that one lift entailed, and I like to tease him about it. She wants to put it on. Hey, Mark, this could be a T-shirt you give. She's got like 30 different things to prep. You'll love oh, it. it and, and I'm sure you do the same thing. It's like the day before the lift, right after his, he's finished the lift for the day, he starts to think about it. The night before, when he's laying in bed, he's developing his plan in his mind. When he wakes up at 4.30 in the morning, he goes to the restroom. He gets himself cleared out. He wakes up. He preps his fuel for the day, his vitamins for the day, his blender zzzzing in the morning. <laughs> then he has to lift. Then he has to meditate on it for a bit, like actual meditation. Then he will go, and there will be stretching, and that takes like a half. This is why I can't lift with him anymore. Half an hour stretching, then prepping everything. Then he actually gets to lift. After the lift, there's more lift. There's more stretching. Mm. Then he's got to debate it in his own mind. And then he call some buddies and talk about it. Or I'll call oh people gosh. in without telling her. Hey, where are all these people showing up at the house? Oh, I have been a deadlift party. Yeah. What were you going to tell me? But it turns into like a four or five hour process, and I just have no desire to 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 be involved at that length. But anyway, his entire life is like that. His entire life has been a prepping, a Learning, a doing, analyzation, more prep, and it, even down to like the slightest little things. There's not really very much winging it from the hip 
it's all very methodical. And I guess that's why we go along because I'm a fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal. And he's like, she'll say, let's do something. And I'll like, well, when yeah. do you want to do it? Well, and she's like, right now. I'm like, well, it's, it's very hard this weekend. <laughs> yeah. It's very hard for him. You get anxiety. Well, he, he probably gets anxiety. Yes. With, we compliment each other. He keeps me in line when I need to, you know, plan things out and I make him be more free spirited and together somehow it works pretty good. But anyway, he can continue the rest of his journey, but it's always very methodical with him. So uh, then we were after, and so when we got done with the high school, uh, here's, and And I love that job. Yeah, it was, we were were seven miles, we were seven miles marked from the original Fort Lauderdale spring break beaches. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, we were right. We were right in the thick of things in Fort Lauderdale. It was really, it was a, it, you couldn't have asked probably for a better start in coaching than not only the fact that we were, the kids were really great, but the whole, like, the, the, the no, small campus environment. We lived on campus free. We, we had a salary for back then that was very, very good, and we had no living expenses. What mm. a way to start off your first two years of marriage. Yeah. And and no pain in the ass kids yet, right? No, we, we didn't have kids. Lovely. Oh. oh, we didn't have any yeah, we didn't have, we didn't have kids until... <laughs> well, we counted the dorm kids as our kids, yeah, or at we, least I did. I, 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 well, he, some a, of them still write him to this day wow. to tell him what influence. We had dinner with one yeah. very successful young man who at the time... He Spanky. Was, Spanky Johnson. Anyway, he... Um, His he real started, name was Spanky. It's <laughs> actually Paul, I think. Yeah, but... But anyway, I love those kids. I still love them. I still, you know, I'd go back there in a heartbeat. It was it was a great experience for us. But it, it gave us freedom to just enjoy each other our first couple of years without worry of bills and stuff like that. So during this time, I don't know if you remember, this was probably 90-91. One of the first, well, not one of the first, but that minor league or an accessory league to the NFL opened up called the World League of American Football that people now will remember as the World League. And they right. were having open trials. And I'm like, man, I got to try. I, I said, I know I can play in this league. <laughs> like, I just know it. So I called my head football coach up and I from college and said, let him know what I was thinking. He goes, okay, we'll see what we can do. And I wound up getting an invite to one of the seven camps. Long story short, I did very, very well. And they told me, okay, you, you get to go to the next step. We need you to take a physical. So there's like 50 or 60 linemen there. And I'm one of like six that are taking a physical. I'm like, all right, me and my wife are going to get a chance to go overseas. And, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm walking over to the tent. And I'm like, I'm going to flunk this effing physical. <laughs> and damn if I didn't flunk that physical. And I was like, okay, now I'm completely completely got all that out of me and now it's 100 percent all in to being the best coach and that's when i was like if i can't get there as a player my my ultimate goal would be to be a coach in the nfl and i'm going to utilize strength and conditioning and all the and all the different avenues of strength and conditioning to put myself in that position so from there we start i go back to wake forest who worked for my strength coach and my college coach at that time was Bill Dooley was still there. And I, and I'm over there and we were, we were going to possibly stay there and work there as a GA. 
but Coach Dooley gave me some extremely great words of advice. He told me when I went and met with him, I said, Coach, I really want to stay. I'd like to see about getting into grad school at uh, a school in in Greensboro because the grad school at Wake I wasn't going to get into and work for you. And he was like, Big Joe? In his Southern draw, Mississippi Southern draw, he goes, you know everything there is to know about Wake Forest strength and conditioning. And he goes, I need you to go out and learn other stuff so when I bring you back, you're ready to enhance our program. When he said that, I was like, all right, I got to look for a job somewhere else. Mm. And we applied for a lot of gra- graduate assistant positions. Uh, we we actually got offered the job at Texas Christian, and things didn't work out as far as graduate school and, and the requirements that I needed to get in. And and Coach Yoxel, who was there at the time, who wound up going on to UCLA and, and Auburn with two of the biggest schools he coached at, was like, Man, I, f- I feel like I need to help you. He he got us connected with Ron Thompson at Boise State, and we had about three offers I was going through. But the reason I chose Boise State, and at that point in time, I didn't really realize how far we were going, was I was going to be able to work with a large number of sport teams. The other the other places that I had the opportunity to go to would have been one or two teams with football where at Boise State, it was just myself and Coach Thompson and 18 sports. So I'm going to be exposed to 18 sports. And no budget. And no budget. Yeah, I mean, it was – and I believe this. I know, Mark, I know you've heard it too because you're on the podcasting circuit. You know, a lot of people in this day and age in sports and athletics are are really harping on the – multi-sport athlete at a younger age don't specialize don't specialize Mm. don't specialize and i i really believe that it's very similar to what's happening in strength and conditioning where younger strength coaches because of the way the dynamics of college are changed are specializing as one sport strength strength coaches too early in their career they're not diversified enough in the in training multiple athletes, I, I really believe that they're doing themselves a disservice. That the more athletes and the more sports you can be involved with early on is going to make you that much stronger if and when the time comes where you're going to go into a specialized, a specific sport type of strength coaching. So I think right. there's a lot of similarities between multi-sport athletes before specialization as much as I believe in multi-sport strength and conditioning before specialization. Like a lot of people obviously tie me into football, but my wife can tell you, my first two years at Boise State, I was the gymnastic strength coach, the women's basketball strength coach, the women's volleyball strength coach. Those were my big three that we went to all the matches, practices. Those those three coaches in particular were truly influential in me getting the head strength coach and job at Boise State three years later. I mean, June Darty, Darlene Nelly, and Sam Samai, they were big supporters to me. I thank them every chance I get in any anything I do because they really allowed me to grow as a coach, grow as a person, teach me the ropes, especially June. June was very, very – she was from 
uh, the Stanford tree with Tara Vanderveer when they were winning national championships left and right in the early 90s in women's hoops. She held, she held me to a higher standard, and, and it was a big, big help to me. You don't realize it, just like sometimes players don't realize what you're, what you're trying to accomplish with them and, you know, the, the tough love, the hard coaching, and then they grow up and they're like, man, hmm. I can't thank you enough for keeping me in check. It's the same thing with coaches being demanding on you too. They're they're trying to see if you got if you got the sauce. And what what did you learn? Like what what do you think the, the most valuable thing you learned? Like do you think that um, that you really need to know that sport, or is to to some extent is coaching coaching? Do you really need to know the sport really well? You need to dive all in, or can you if you can coach and you've already had experience coaching some of these different sports? Can you just coach anything? Well, yeah, I think I think it's in between. I think you need to know the sport. I think you need to know because every sports athlete have different personalities. I mean, like, like I'll give you a great example. I coach throwers, and and I'm a big admiration of throwers because of their strength and power. And if you look at if you go into a college weight room, there's no doubt that the thrower should be the the male thrower should be the strongest athlete in the gym more so than any football player because they don't go through the violence and the, and the contact and the body beating that a football player does but on the other hand their their personalities are, are, are a lot different than the, you look at a football player they got that a really good one's got that glassy eyed look mm. like they're a little off like a, like a good fighter, like an at, MMA fighter. They got that yeah, same look. You're exactly. like, oh, this guy is not all there. But, but you look at a thrower, and you're like, golly, man, why isn't that guy playing football? <laughs> right. And it's no different than, you know, men like a men's basketball player. Like, you know, you look at LeBron James, everybody's like, oh, he could play tight end. Well, you can look at Cam Newton and say, oh, he could play power forward. But that's not necessarily true. It's just... It's different. You learn different modalities, and you. I just think the more diverse you can be exposed to, it brings it all into fruition when you get into a specific group of people that have a lot more similarities than, than differences. So you're coaching at Boise State, and you're coaching 18 different sports. How long did this go on for? I was at Boise State for eight years. I was there the two years I had a graduate assistant. I got my master's degree in education. The next year, they, my master's degree was up. My GA was up. They kept me on for a year as an assistant. And then I was elevated to the head strength coach, and I was there five years as the head strength coach. And it was just myself and a GA, part-time assistant. And then we were smart enough to delve into work-study money, and we had a lot of students for work-study that, like a majority of our powerlifting team we created were my work study strength coaches. We started a powerlifting club and we were really, really successful. Had a national champ and collegiate national champ. I'll give you a story about so we had a gymnast who got into lifting. She's actually a master's weightlifter in Idaho right now. She was a she was a hundred and thirty two pound class. In a seven day time period, she went to collegiate powerlifting nationals and won the title she pulled a 341-pound deadlift on her last attempt to, to win, and then a 
And then the next weekend, she scored a 9.8 on the ball to help the team win the Big West Gymnastics Championship. Wow. That's uh, some strength. Remembers, and he remembers how much weight she pulled on that last tent. She was a 200-pound deadlift. <laughs> she, I mean, she, she benched 200, too. Uh, but, uh, so but that was a good experience that was a, because we had you had fun. no budget yeah. and you had to be creative on how to get these kids engaged. He would take them down to the river, which was only a few steps from the, the weight room. Yeah, Boise River was ran up alongside the campus, and it had a green belt was an activity belt. And he would, they'd get these river rocks and they'd weigh them on their their scale, and they would, you know, sometimes they'd be down by the river lifting. I mean, that was just to yeah, get them over the low tide. We'd run them down to the river and we'd just pick up rocks and start passing rocks around a different size and doing exercises. So is that how you train? Is that how you train like thirty or forty people at one time? Yeah, just like what we call like on our freshman Fridays when we were doing some team building stuff and. We were one of the very first teams when Mark Philippi was at UNLV and I was at Boise State. Mark was big, you know, was one of the best strong men, and he was implementing strongman type of activity down at Vegas. And I started doing it at Boise, just not so much as a variation, but to get the guys out of the weight room. And because we had no budget, I could go down with a half a dozen T-shirts to the tire shop and they'd give me all the tractor tires I want because, you know, they got to pay those people to haul them away. They'd like to give them to me for free. So our, we'd have like 20 or 30 tractor tires on the on the field, and we did a tire flip competition with our teams. And so we, we brought in a lot of the alternative-type trainings. And Chris Doyle, who was at Utah tug at the time. Yeah, I mean, people people weren't doing tug. Now tug-of-war is like a staple in, in football conditioning. We would, we implemented we started all that stuff in in 1990. Like I had a thrower. So you know how uh, the mountain is, you know, in and Gigantor are really good at like throwing heavy objects over right, the bar, right. uh, weight for height. Well, back back in those days, uh, they used to throw the empty kegs, you know, 16 or 17 feet. I had a thrower who's now the head coach at head throw coach at Concordia College in Oregon. Jared Rome, who's a two-time Olympian, he took an empty keg and threw it over a 20-foot-high pole vault. Holy crap. So you, can't, you can't, like, bang that over. It's got to clear. <laughs> right. That was in, and that was in 1996 we were doing stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we, we, we pride ourselves on always being innovative and at the forefront of stuff. And, and, and Bob Alejo says it's the best now with all these scientific type strength coaches who want to take crazy stuff and give you these big mumbo jumbo words. He'll, he'll tell them, tell me what that is. And I'll tell you what I used to call it. <laughs> what do you think about some of that stuff? Like there's a lot of apps and there's a lot of, uh, there's uh, cameras on racks and stuff and tells you how much force output. Do you find a lot of value in this stuff for your athletes? I I do like the velocity based types of devices, but but it it goes down to this, Mark. If you don't have the staff numbers to actually effectively use that data, then you're just collecting numbers to tell people you have all these gadgets. But if you're not effectively putting them to use to improve the athlete's performance, then it's truly just a gimmick or a waste. Mm. We we have several velocity based units. 
But I, we don't use them with every player. We use them with the players who understand what we're trying to accomplish with them. You know, so again, because everybody's training is is looked at differently. I mean, some people know, hey, I have to train at this specific way at, at my level. At the college level, it's different because you, you have a lot more. You you own the room. I really believe at the professional level, every everybody owns the room together. There's a lot. There's a lot more communication. It's a it's a it's a moral or we we're we're trying to put together the best plan versus in college. I'm laying out the plan, and then I'll figure out what you need because you're not educated enough with your body and and training to help yourself by telling me stuff. It's that probably a lot sense? easier for you as a coach to get your message across uh, when it's more of a we mentality, especially on that professional level, right? Yeah. You, if you build your, your room and you build your philosophy like that, it's very, very successful because, again, the ultimate goal for any athlete is to be at as close to maximal capacity on competition day. and. I, I don't know what that is. I, I've never played professional football. I have to learn from these guys. I have to listen to these guys explain to me what's going on, and then we help try to mesh the things that they feel are necessary versus the things that I think that need to complement that. Like I always tell some of my guys, like at the end, I have to be the voice of reason. And what I mean is I've got a couple of guys who are legitimately – 365 days all in about preparing to be the best they can be. Uh, one particular athlete always says, Hosh, you know how they keep telling us well, you got to have a plan B, you got to have a plan B? He goes, my plan B is to be so great at plan A, I don't need a plan B. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a guy who, you know, these, these, these are the types of things that you want to do. But like for me, they'll come in and say, okay, Here's what I did last year. I want to add this, this, and this because I think I need to improve in these areas. And I'll go, okay, it makes a lot of sense. But what are you going to take out? And they go, well, what do you mean? I said, your gas tank's already filled. <laughs> You've already got a 20-gallon tank. You're asking me to go to 24 gallons. It can't happen. So if we need to add these things, what are some of the things in the tank that you don't feel are necessary that we can remove to keep you at a 20 gallon tank. Cause if you go to 24, now you're going to put yourself susceptible, excuse me, susceptible uh, to overtraining and injury in a, in a possible injury occurring because you just don't have enough fuel to attack what you're asking your body to do. That is the main thought process on huh? like, if you're going to add, if you're like, Hey, you know, I want my athletes to bench squat and deadlift. I believe that this is the best, best thing for them to do. Well, you just have to account for all those things and you're going to have to, uh, figure out what's, what does it cost you to do those lifts and, uh, it, at what intensity and what kind of volume are you doing with those lifts? Because if you go in there and do five to five of bench squat deadlift, your football players are now going to be waddling around like power lifters. They're going to be very <laughs> sore to be very hard to recover from those workouts. And that intensity will kind of sit in their body and it's going to be hard for them to open up their gate and run fast and do all these things that they're, uh, required to do. Yeah. And that's where like when some people go, 
you know, how strong is strong. I don't, I don't want to set certain numbers like, okay, an athlete hit this number and that's good. But there's different ways to get strong. As you know, as power lifters, for example, we're great at, at bilateral squatting. But I know a lot of power lifters who can squat, you know, in excess six, seven, eight hundred pounds and can't do a 95 pound lunge. Right. Where my athletes are better off cutting their squats at, you know, I'm just going random number, 450, 500, and being able to have an extremely higher level of single leg strength because majority of time they're on, you know, in running 80% of the time you're on one leg. So right. it, it's a it's a trade off. And you're looking you know, at different ways of strength to strength train. And plus, here's the other thing people don't talk about, and you know this as a business owner. Don't don't stress stress occurs in all ways. Like our guys get off on Tuesdays during the season, and for some of our our athletes who have young children, that's harder. That's a harder day than practice. They're trying to do seven days of being a dad in one day. Hmm. People yeah, that's, that's gotta, that's gotta be tough. I remember, uh, when you, uh, got us tickets and we saw them, uh, we saw the Panthers play the, uh, Raiders and I got to see Cam Newton up close, you know, to me, when I looked at a guy like that, it's just, I, I was completely awestruck. Um, I've been around a lot of athletes. I've seen a lot of big people and I just, I don't know. I mean, I've heard his dimensions before I've, I've, you know, uh, seen video and stuff, but none of that does it any justice. I c- could not believe, um, you know, he looked like a thoroughbred, you know, he looked like a Clydesdale. It was, it was really, uh, unbelievable. And when I look at somebody like that, you know, it would be a mistake to say, well, who cares about his strength or whatever, but in some way, yeah, who kind of cares like what he squats. It's more about taking him, making sure he feels good and probably progressing him along just like you would with anybody else. Right. His, his unique program is designed by my assistant, Jason Van Gucci. But his, his strength lies in purely development of, you know, his core, like the, the whole posterior chain and, and the abdominal region and the rotation abilities. That, that's where he has to be healthy. That's where he has to be strong. Because of what he's asked to do in a professional football game is unlike any other quarterback. His his program is extremely unique because of his genetic capabilities. You you could out train him out of his position, which is going to out train us out of our job. <laughs> right. So, so we we are very very conscientious of this. And Cam is an extremely hard worker. Like he he's an extra guy. He he led our team during the season in extra workouts. Wow, that, that's he, awesome. He's, he's a it's been a tremendous to watch these guys now. This will be year eight with me, with watching Cam and guys like Luke Keekley, year seven. Uh, Ryan Khalil's in year 12. I've been with these guys seven. Thomas Davis is in year 14. I've been with these guys eight years. Just watching guys mature at this level is extremely impressive how they can continue to endure in, in the longevity. And these are guys, people ask, how do these guys last so long? Because they come to work like they're going to get cut mm. guys, who, guys who don't understand that guys who think they've arrived. That's the reason to me. I really believe the NFL range is usually what two and a half to three and a half years. It's not because the guy all of a sudden isn't good enough. 
It's because sometimes these guys think they've arrived. Mm. And they forgot what got them there. And then you get these guys who are year 12 and 13, and they're, they're motivated with the fact that, man, they may cut me this year. Even though they probably aren't, but that's how they come to work. And, that's, and then you want to know why some guys are greater than others and why some guys who come out of college like, this is the next great thing, they don't get it. And you, uh, you, you like to think they do, but it's hard. It's a hard business. Earlier, you talked about starting out your career uh, in a really good spot where you didn't have a uh, you know much overhead and you were being paid pretty well. Um, you mentioned at Boise State there wasn't really much of a budget, and you're managing a lot of teams. Uh, what was that? What was that like? And is that what led you to uh, move on somewhere else? Well, I think my wife could answer and help answer this too. I I really I really believe that the budget stuff. Not necessarily. I think at the end of the day, the high I hit a dead end there. I think as a family, we were... But you also knew your value. Yeah, and and again, there was only so much that they were willing to up the antes from a financial standpoint. And and like anything else, you know, I applied for a lot of jobs, hit you know, got a couple of interviews, nothing. But I... I also believe you can't chase jobs. And, and when I was chasing mm. jobs, I was sending out resumes left and right and nothing was happening. And when I kind of hunkered down and, and I really started saying out loud, Boise State is going to be the best strength and conditioning program next to Nebraska, which when Boyd Epley was there, that was the creme de la creme. Everybody was trying to model themselves after Nebraska. I remember coaches saying, oh, you're crazy. You can't do it here. I said, but that's, what we're going to strive for. Then when that became my mantra, so to speak, and I stopped chasing, my wife will tell you, I got more job calls and people recommended me for jobs than I did when I was just following oh. the career life. And yeah, when you're all, you got, and that's why I tell you now, don't tell me you're just an intern because guess what you're always going to be? Just an intern. Mm. The job you have now is the greatest job in the world and that's how you have to attack it. And for me, the the Utah opportunity gave me a chance to, at that point, Boise State had just transferred over to 1A football. It wasn't the juggernaut that everybody knows it is now. Utah was a top 40 program. I was going to get to work with the basketball program there that had just gone to the Final Four. It was a big step. I was going to have a staff of strength and conditioning coaches that were that extremely challenged me because at Boise I was a pipe piper. I didn't have full time staff. Here I had three full time staff, a GA and several students, one of them being Mark Uyama. So that was a big move. And financially it 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 it, it helped me accomplish one of my biggest goals was I didn't want my wife to work. I didn't want my kids cool, yeah. to be daycare babies daycare babies anymore. I, I just she had paid her dues. She busted her butt for us for eight years. She went to work two weeks after my first son was born. That That's just not right. And I, I told her the next job we get financially, we're going to be able to have you stay home and you're never going to have to work. You can work if you want to. But the truth is we've been extremely blessed in our journey and her, her, we're not anymore. We're not any more blessed than any other person in the world. 
I like to say that. <laughs> not like God just smiles on us. No, you have done all the steps that were needed. We've worked together. You've worked hard. You've progressed. You didn't sit on your laurels, which is one thing I've always admired about my husband, that he will never just wait for it to happen for him. He makes it happen. It's always a continual process of who can he learn from. Not just who can he know and who can he shake his hand. Whose hand can he shake, but who can I learn from? How can I apply this? And it's always a constant, constant process. So it's not like, oh, you know, oh, we're just blessed. We're no more blessed than anybody else. We, just, You have just taken advantage of opportunities and created opportunities for yourself. I And I've seen that in you and knew you were a good partner, so I'm along for the ride. But I think that's the key. A lot of people stop when they get uh, resistance, you know, and I think uh, the lifting that we do and being in the gym, I think it, it teaches us that over a long period of time, you really get some great values from working out. You get the resistance, the stimulus that you need. And we know that we can't run away from that. Like that's the exact spot that we need to be in. And sometimes you may stay there for multiple sets. You may do a set and it might hurt. It might not feel great. Uh, it might turn you purple. It might do all kinds of weird stuff to you, but you're like, once you do it, you're like, you know what? I need another set of that, or I need to add more weight, even though it was already difficult. And so I think lifting, uh, really ends up being a great tool for us. Do your, uh, do your kids lift? Are they, uh, in, into it too? So my oldest son, he is a natural in anything he's done athletically. And he could just do Whatever yeah. it was he he was he could have easily have left athletics and been a competitive weightlifter. I had two weightlifting coaches who saw him that said what he's able to do with me teaching him in one day takes some of my athletes six months to do. Mm. He he was uh, and again this is you you learn you learn a lot. Uh, and I don't want to use forgive, but my wife is my my oldest. Here's a testimony to, to people when it comes to athletics and your kids, especially if you're a coach. It's something that I, I had to learn with my first son, and I, I hope to have done a better job my second. You, you, your, your, child, your children in athletics are going to have hundreds of coaches. They're going to be only have one mom and dad. So right. That line is very hard not to cross. And with my, with my oldest, I crossed that line to a point where he, he when, when your son tells you, I needed a dad once in a while, I didn't need a coach a hundred percent of the time. You have to reflect on that and ask yourself, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, I don't, right. I don't see that. I don't see that. I mean, you use the tools you had, but it's not like you drank them out of bed. Or no, I know, you, but I mean, it was, you know, you use the my husband is, it doesn't matter if he, if my son, like now he's in welding, whatever, it takes, if my husband will learn about welding to help him get as far ahead as he possibly can, like, did you know that there's this special school here or, or this opportunity there? Hey, I looked up welding jobs. It's not that you just wanted your children no, to I live. No, I went, whatever I went they all love, Yeah, whatever they love. And I would pull you back yeah. periodically. Now, see, I was the opposite. I am the one who believes that I shouldn't go to every game you've ever had from the time you were hmm. five years old. Yeah. You need to know how to conduct yourself, how to push yourself without mom and dad. I agree. Breathing down. No, nonstop. 
So, Mike, I went to about half of the events for my children. And when I was there, I was usually working the concession stand to raise money <laughs> for the team. I missed so much stuff in that end, but they knew I was there when it was an important time. I was there. But these parents that you see running up and down the sidelines and yelling stuff, I always say the cream will rise. If there is talent and they have passion, it's going to rise. You cannot make someone have passion about something. If they love it, now you can give them the tools, you can give them every opportunity, and if they love it, it's going to take off. You cannot beat that into someone, and they have to have some independence. Are they just doing it because you're you're there, or are they doing it without you there and learning new skills about how to take care of it without you always being there. Oh, how many the times you hear a parent say, my son, he loves football. My son, he loves <laughs> baseball. And it's like, your son is four, <laughs> you know, like let's, oh, yeah. let's oh, relax yeah. for a second. We don't know what the guy likes yet. You know? Yeah. And that's the same son that when he's 12 is telling his dad, I'm never playing any of these sports ever again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Free play. We, my, my husband will get a lot of emails from people. I remember this one in particular, maybe a year or two ago, the woman's like, my son, this and that. And you just thought he was like a high school senior. He turned out to be like eight years old or something. <laughs> she wanted this massive pussy. And my husband said, yeah, just some free play. Have him go outside, climb a tree, learn to jump off a fence and take a landing without yeah. twisting your ankle. Absorb some impact. Learn, you know, free play is what your kid needs at this point. He doesn't need a professional weightlifting coach five to eight years old yeah we need some perspective oh. too because like for me you know i learned a lot of my lessons in the gym maybe my son and maybe my daughter they're going to learn their lessons somewhere else you know maybe they're going to have a different perspective on life maybe they're going to have a different feeling about life you know i grew up way different than the way that they're growing up right now all i can do is uh love them show them that i'm there um, try to make the best decisions, uh, for them as, as much as I can. And, uh, you can't really do much else. Neither one of my children are into sports and I'm kind of sitting there scratching my head. I'm like, how do I, you know, how do I teach them about like, you know, uh, just hard work and pushing through because you get that activity a lot of times through something physical and you can do a job and you can work hard and you can be on time and you can do these things. But for me, it's been such a great experience with it being physical. I almost don't understand anything different, but now I'm seeing my son who's 14. He's uh, with our next door neighbor, which is my pops, my dad. And uh, he's over there raking leaves and earning money. And I'm just sitting there going, would you look at that? Like he's figuring it out on his own. You know, he's figuring out, he's figuring, yeah, he's, he, he's finding it himself. He doesn't need, all I can do is be there for him, tell him I love him and, and help him with whatever th I can help him with. But I can't really like make him do anything that he doesn't want to do. No, but you can start, there's, to me, there's a difference between sports and doing things for your health. Right. Everybody should maintain that's a, good a healthy point. body. Those, those are very important. You know, that's going to, you know, your quality of life as you get older. And if you've ever seen anyone that you love deteriorate, yeah. deteriorate before your eyes. And you, and then you see other people who, who are well past that age. And it has come down to taking care of their health and being physical, which is different than sports. So some people just don't have that competitive want to beat somebody, but yet, 
you have to help draw out a passion about their health aspect. And it might just be hiking with your dog. Some people love, like I like to run. I like to run deep woods with my dogs. My favorite thing to do. If my family comes, wow, that's a bonus. My husband loves to lift. Peter likes to throw. You know, everybody has their own little thing, and you just got to find what they can be passionate about. But, you know, you know, playing the cello can be very physical. Right. No, it's it's, it's highly, de- highly demanding in many different ways. Yeah. yeah. So from... Uh, yes, but love them through it. Right. From from uh, Utah, what happened from there? Two years in Utah, had success. This and then this is where the big, the big, the big, the big. To me, the explosiveness of being being able to have a platform to really excel from a national level. So my last year at Boise State, Dirk Cutter gets the head football coaching job. We hit it off tremendously right from the beginning. He again came in from a bigger school, challenged me. At this point in time, I'd worked with five different head football coaches in five consecutive years. There's mm. a tremendous amount of turnover. But as, as Dirk Cutter's success at Boise was starting, my career was ending. It was time for me to move. In 2001, Boise State, those last two years, had tremendous success. Dirk Cutter gets hired at Arizona State and asked me to come on to be his strength coach for the football team. So this was the first time I would take a job and specifically work with the football program. Mm. And, and that was a monster move at that point in time in 2001. It was, it was, it really helped catapult everything uh, professionally. Personally, it was, you know, highest paid job I'd ever had. Uh, we're living in Phoenix, Arizona. We got a pool in the backyard. Uh, kids are still fairly young, so it wasn't a big move for school. And we wound up having a seven-year run, which we've been fortunate. We've had some nice runs. We've had a couple of short ones, but we've had some really nice runs in our coaching in our coaching travels. And that's where, like, my style of training became more nationally known. And again, you, you're exposed to more. The larger your school you get to, the more uh, utilization of funding you had. You had more available at your at your hands. You, we we built a 16,000 square foot weight room that was put in Sports Illustrated as the best weight room in the country at the time. Damn. We we like to we like to say that we kind of started this arms race of gigantic weight rooms in the college and university setting. We we hired great staff. I mean, some of the some of some tremendous strength coaches. And was that at ASU? Yes. Um, who are some of the Who are some of the guys that are still like? How many people are uh, professional uh, in the professional ranks, or um, even coaching on the college level that you uh, mentored? Well, there's quite a few. I mean, there's, yeah, there's a, but the the group out of the, the, the top the top guys. I like the, the guys that come off. So we have. Um, Obviously, a lot of guys know through me and you and Jesse Burdick and all that crew. Mark Uyama, who's with the Minnesota Vikings. Right. Ben Hilgert, who's with Virginia Tech. Josh Storms, who's with Memphis. Leanne Blind, who's actually the head one of the head coaches for Olympic sports at Arizona State now. She's a powerlifting fame. She's a multi-time IPF world champion. Oh, wow. Well over 400 pounds. She competed in World's Strongest Women. 
Uh, she's a she's a USA Powerlifting Hall of Famer. I think her best bench at a at a at the eighty kilogram class is like four hundred and twenty four pounds in competition. Wow, that's huge. So she's back there. Some of our Utah guys, uh, Jason Belkamp's been in the NFL. We've got a we've got a former assistant of ours at UCLA. Yeah, we we we've got a tremendous amount of people at the smaller, I don't like to say smaller, but like division one and division two universities, high schools, private settings. Yeah, we've been we've got them all over. We've got world's strongest men, we've got director of optimization that's on it. I mean right. they're all over the place. <laughs> we uh you know, it, when you were at Arizona State there was this famous seminar that happened in uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, and it was very rare for Louis Simmons to ever leave Columbus, Ohio. And uh, at the seminar, which was like in the basement of, uh, I think the Bellagio, was it? Is that what it was? Venetian. Yeah, the Venetian. This uh, gem of a seminar popped up, and it was Louis Simmons, and it was Mel Siff, the author of the book Super Training. And uh, I went there. My wife uh, was the breadwinner for our family um, for for many years, and uh, she surprised me with uh, getting me this seminar. Uh, but you purchased me the seminar and the flight out there and hotel and everything. I was super excited to go to. I loved all the stuff that I ever saw come out of Westside Barbell. And I was a fan of Mel Siff, even though I knew I had no idea what the hell he was ever talking about. So I, I go to this uh, <laughs> seminar and meet uh, a guy that I was uh, communicating with uh, online, a guy named uh, Nico Falciono, I think. I think it's yeah, how you say Feliciano. his name. Feliciano. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he introduces me to none other than Coach House. And we went to this seminar that was like nobody knows about in the basement. And there was like five, six other uh stud uh strength coaches that were there as well yeah well that's what uh i think it was yeah nico who just went for three days with a fanny pack and a toothbrush didn't pack anything else <laughs> it was me you that's when we met jl holsworth was there yeah uh, mark Uyama, cheyenne petrie tom Vizlinski, and buddy morris <laughs> Yeah, it was like a hall. It was like hall of fame of uh, strength coaches going on there. It was amazing. That's when you were back. That's when you were just starting your wrestling career. You weighed about two twenty. Yeah, yeah. That was uh, way way before Smelly was Smelly, I guess. Yeah. That was uh, also, you know, at that seminar, I uh, you know was thumbing through at a little. Uh, we had a break, an intermission, lunch type thing. Uh, I start thumbing through um, the book, Super Training. I'm checking it out. And uh, Mel Siff uh, walks by and he's like, oh, you thinking about getting the book? I said, yeah, you know, I got to, you know, run to the ATM. I'm trying to think of an excuse. I did want to buy the book, but I just didn't have enough enough dough on me. I, I wasn't actually going to buy it, but I was interested to see what was in it. I heard so many people talk about it. And uh, I closed the book and uh, he goes, you know what? He goes, give me your hand. And I put my hand out and he shakes it and he goes, the book's yours. He's like, I think it'll come in handy. I think you'll really like it. And I was like, oh my God, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And uh, it was only uh, a few months later, I think that Mel Siff ended up passing away. And so when I had the opportunity to uh, have my own gym and uh, give it a name, everybody's like, well, what's the name of the gym? I said, super training. And the rest is history. Yeah. The story of super training gym. The strongest gym in the West, man. The strongest gym in the West. 
That's right. All right. So you're at Utah. How do we bop over from Utah to uh, Louisville? We're at Arizona. So we're at Arizona State now. <laughs> bowl game. The bowl. Yeah, we went to. How did that work? Holiday Bowl. Oh, to Louisville. Yeah. So after eight years at Arizona, seven years at Arizona State, we want we our last year there. There was a coaching change. We got to stay on. At that point in time, I would have been very fortunate. I was retained by every head coach when we've had a coaching change. But again, as you know, sometimes it's time to go, and the Louisville opportunity came up actually while we were at the bowl game in San Diego at the Holiday Bowl. That a fortune teller, we were walking yeah. through the park. No way. And we don't do fortune. I don't figure out well, we don't do fortune teller people. Yeah, we did, yeah. She, she stops us and starts to say, tell him some things and tells him he's got a big coaching change coming up. It's going to be really cold. Tells him the name of the two new bosses. She doesn't say where it's at. And we're like, okay, great, because we're having a, you're having a great run at Yeah, we're yeah, I'm still busy. Yeah, I might still be there. <laughs> and you, you, you're not planning anything. And we, you know, I, it was pretty weird. Yeah, my son had just started high school. He, they had a brand new school out in Gilbert, Arizona. He wound up He's king of the castle yeah, there. starting quarterback, killing it. They're going to build the whole program around him. I'm not looking to go anywhere. And get a phone call, and we start talking. And got the lady got the names right. Yeah, the, I mean, like the, the head coach, the head coach, and the athletic, and the athletic director. director. Wow, it was very weird. Yeah, and it and the, we so we we made the move, and it was like I said, it was that was the time to get. Get us closer to home, closer to family. And actually, it. our families were able to visit us more. And long story short, we didn't win enough games, and we got uh, first time I was ever fired. Ever fired, or actually, weren't even really fired. Just not retained, which means <laughs> getting fired. Everybody else was fired. <laughs> And they let you. We were, we, 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 we were, we were not retained. You know, that's that's a good, that's a good that's lesson. Okay. That's a good lesson. I think. Uh, I think a lot of times people think if you just work really hard and you put in a great effort, uh, that everything's just going to work out. And we've seen that time and time again. That doesn't happen in the weight room. It doesn't happen with trying to get a better deadlift, bench, squat, um, and it doesn't happen in life. It's not reality. You can work really hard and you can be dedicated to something, and you can still. Uh, not be able to hold on to your jobs in some cases. Yeah. Yeah, your, your part, your part, I always say it, you might not be the biggest part, but you're either part of the problem or part of the solution. And obviously, as well as our guys trained, and I, and I, and I will say this, in my 19 years as a college strength and conditioning coach, the two of our better years as a, as a staff of training athletes occurred at the University of Louisville. But in the end, for various reasons, we didn't win enough games, we were all let go. When I look back at stuff and, and self-critique myself, there were certain things that I could have probably have done uh, as an advisory role to the head coach and to other coaches and, and, and gave them more feedback into ways that we could have been more successful. So I, I look at, okay, where where did I mess this thing up? That we And that, and, and might have not, whether it would have mattered or not, I, I took it upon myself to look at what what could I have done better hmm. in my role in that leadership type of position that may have given us a longer run? In the end, as we as we know, it has nothing to do with the the job you do. It has to do with relationships. And I had a, I did not have a relationship with the coach coming in, so obviously he he's going to bring in a guy that he trusts to be in that position. 
I, I have no ill will. Like everybody goes, oh, well, you pissed so-and-so got the job. I go, he didn't hire himself. <laughs> and it's like anything else. It's an opportunity. Generally, the opportunities arise when other people move on from that job. And a lot of times it's getting fired. And it sucks that you're replacing yeah. So You might replace somebody you know. It, it, it's a very it's small a, world. It's a tough deal. I mean, there's only so many jobs out there. And you have to be, you know, understanding of that. That's like I tell people all the time. At this point in my career, and, and with the support of my wife, I'm actually glad I got fired because we know we can survive. Like, yeah, like personally as a couple, yeah, we financially, we fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it was it was hard financially. We had all the financial woes that anybody would have. How are you going to make this payment? How are you going to make that one? Um, where do you cut corners? Who's going to suffer? The kids? Who's? But we never tore each other apart. We just kept working at it, and it, I mean, it was a good, I know that the relationship we built can last anything if we lasted through that without tearing each other apart, and we never did. We just always, we always, yeah, it, it, it just proves that, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier in the conversation, you, you have to make sure your significant other, spouse, wife, husband, whatever, you, they have to understand what it means to be in this this deal. Like it's yeah, it's all when it's all going good and you're at the bowl game, getting bowl gifts and hanging out or going to Super Bowls. That that thing could change in a second. Mm. And you're packing up offices and turning in key cards. I right. Mean, I mean, when I got let go at Louisville, they had already had a registered letter to the house that my wife signed for that said I was terminated before I even got home on the same day. I mean, that's how it's cutthroat. That's the way it is. The head, it goes down that way. Yeah. And you can't be bitter about it. Yeah. You just move on. And we, we made a decision at that time where there were several coaching jobs I could have got involved in, but from the financial standpoint, we had, we had, we had grown as a recognizable brand and a recognizable coach that, from the financial, we were one of the better paid strength coaches at time, and we had earned that. We had built us, we had built up a rapport, we had built up a, a respect level across the country, we had built up a process of how we trained athletes. That I was I wasn't willing to take a job just to take a job. I, I wasn't going to start the financial climb again because I just felt like I was better than that. So. We decided we're going to go all in on ourselves and start our own company, and I'll go into the private sector. And we did that for almost a full year, and and then the the ultimate happened while we were in the private sector. The the job that I had all, all always really aspired to have an opportunity to interview for opened up, and fortunately for us, we wound up getting it and. We are now in the NFL, going on year eight. Wow, what was that interview process like? You know, going going from college to, it, into the pros. Like, how do you get a job with the Carolina Panthers? Yeah, so it's that interesting. Was, yeah, it's they kinda, were smart at interviewing you. Yeah, I they think. they they were very unique interview process. Uh, I was fortunate because a couple of the players that played for the Panthers, I coached at Utah, and they were two of the better players in the history of the franchise. So that helped. Uh, 
a good friend of mine who serves as my agent was an agent to one of those athletes. So he was able to get my resume on the desk. And then I was working at Prolific Park, which is owned by Ricky Prohl, who was a 17-year NFL vet that I played college football with. He was actually being looked at as at the wide receiver position at the Panthers. So he threw my name in the hat. And the interview process was the, the head athletic trainer came out and, and watched people coach on site. Like instead of just looking through resumes and bringing guys in and suit and ties and doing the little standard interviews, his preliminary interviews was to go look at the top guys that he thought, watch us coach, and then bring in the list to the head coach and the GM of who was going to be interviewed. And fortunately for me, they saw something in me during the coaching process and then during the interview process, which was, I wasn't nervous, but I was a little bit, I was really trying to think about how this was going to go because I had interviewed for a job and, and I couldn't remember because as I was moving up, people were just calling and say, hey, you're interested in the job. No, you're interested in the job. Yes, I am. Let's talk. So now I'm, I'm in like, golly, I, I mean, I couldn't even remember the last time I interviewed for a job when I went to the Panthers. And, you know, 100% walk in, say, hello, hey, what are you going to do in the offseason? Okay, off and running. And, you know, in the, in the end, you... you but it hope- started with someone smart enough to check out coaching technique and personality. Yeah. I think that, yeah, for sure. And I, I thought, you know, we were, it was a very... You, the most unique way I've seen a interview process for a strength coach in, in the entire history of me being a strength and conditioning coach. Yeah, you, you uh, mentioned to me that was like a, a you mentioned me it was like a four-hour process or something like that, right? Yeah, the, the interview, I was in, the, the when the athletic trainer came to Prolific Park, that he watched an entire movement and lift session, so that was about how three hours. Those were well, one was my oldest son who was training to go to college, and the two other athletes were Canadian Football League hopefuls. So you could say pro prospects and a and, a, and an incoming college freshman. That was a that was a good two and a half three hours, and then we spoke for time after that. And then when I got to to the stadium for the on site interview with the head coach and the GM. That was about a three-and-a-half-hour process, which generally, if things are going well, it's going to go a little bit longer. Yeah. And I felt like I did the best I could at that time, and obviously, I guess everybody else did. And it was, it was like anything else. They go, okay, well, we're going to make our decision. We'll give you a call the next day, which I know enough to know that if I'm not getting a call that night, they've offered the job to somebody else. The call the next day is to tell all the other finalists we've made a decision and we're going a different direction. So we we lived in Winston, which is about an hour and a half from Charlotte. I get back. At this time, we're living with my sister-in-law because we had just moved back and we had like, what, three house payments? Or... Yeah, we had a lot of bills. Yeah. So we're living with her in her basement that was unfinished so you could literally look through the the frame of one room into our son's bedroom. Tell him good night. Good night, Peter. 
And within an hour and a half of my wife and I sit going over the interview, we get the call and we get offered that job. So I like to tell people on Wednesday, I was coaching 10 year olds. And on Thursday, I would get the opportunity to coach all pros. Wow. That's, that's a, he has a huge transition. What's the biggest transition, um, going from coaching, uh, college athletes and high school athletes to coaching pro athletes? Well, I'll be honest with you, that year that I was in the private sector, I thought definitely made me a better coach for the, for the professional. Uh, coaching the 10-year-olds really teaches you a process of learning that's totally different than the typical yell and scream at a college guy. You got to do that because that's the way I said it's going to be done. And I don't, I don't even know anything about your weaknesses yet. And I don't really care. You're going to squat like this. You know, I mean, you just look, you, you are mature. It's a, it's a maturity process. Mm. And, and you learn like the heightness of college. And it's, it's a lot different now. I'm not even going to get into it, but you just learn to be a better communicator. You can't, you know, a 10 year old, to get that 10-year-old to look you in the eye and you grab their attention tells you, you you're you giving off a vibe. You're, you're communicating at a point where they understand you and they're not looking around like most 10-year-olds <laughs> when there's 30 other shooting baskets and, and, and trying to play soccer. They're really looking at you, learning how to do an isometric lunch. Yeah, that, that's, that's, a, that's a huge impact on a kid. And a lot of times, if you can get their attention, it's just of something that's tremendously valuable. And a similarity between a pro and a, and a kid is that the pros know that there's really not really, there's not any real secrets. Uh, but the, the, if there is a secret, it's in the details of all the basics. And that's where you're going to really catch their attention is showing them uh, the importance of, of why we're doing this particular movement, why we're doing the single leg movement, why we're doing a particular squat. Then that's, you're going to get their attention uh, that much, that much easier. And one thing I think too, what it taught me was even the most elite athletes, they want to be coached. They want to be corrected. I remember early on, I got it right before the lockout. So I didn't have a real first off season, but, I got two weeks before they got locked out and just teaching him some base, just teaching a lot of guys. Like one of the first things I want to do is see guys squat and just teaching them with 135 pounds and watching, you could almost see their eyes like Eureka moments. Like, oh, I've never felt my back. My, I've never felt it. I've never felt it like that at the squat because right. as you know, Oh, he's a pro. He don't, he's good. You don't have to coach those guys. Just go squat. Well, I, we, I wanted them to see that, hey, I, I know what I'm talking about. I, because I, that was my way. I had to earn their respect. I wasn't, a, I wasn't an ex-pro athlete. I have to find ways to, to earn their respect. One of them is trying to show them what I know and simplifying that so they can get the return as well as also knowing when I don't know something to be truthful with them and tell them, I don't know that, but I know somebody who does. Let's find out because you don't want to try to snowball a pro athlete, right? Because they know enough, and they know enough people too that they'll check you. And if you if you try to fill them with some BS, and they check you, and they know you would be asking them, they're not going to trust you. What's the What's the main thing that you had to learn to uh, be able to survive for this long? You've been coaching for thirty years, and uh, you know you've had a 
basically a paid gig the whole time. What's been the biggest lesson you had to learn uh, in order to keep making progress in order to keep these jobs? As a strength coach, you have to be a chameleon. You have to be the most adaptable person in the building. You have to change colors because you, you or a, a baseball, a baseball analogy would be, you got to be able to hit the curveball. Everybody wants to be a fastball hitter, but life's always throwing you curves. And, and in <laughs> coaching and in the strength and conditioning world, you, you're always getting curves. And you're getting last-minute curves. It's like that curve that just breaks down low right when you get ready to swing. You're like, how'd you miss? And, you know, though, that, that is true. You have to be able to be adaptable. You cannot be extremely rigid. I think a lot of coaches who are very, very rigid in their programming are, are giving their they're giving their athletes a disservice because there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. And the more talented an athlete and the higher level you are, the more diverse your toolbox has to be, which my tier system was built that way to get a lot of variability. But then as you know, studying the West Side, the conjugate method also promotes variability. So People are like, oh, man, you do a great job of, you know, really being open to people's different ideas. Well, yeah, you may think I'm doing a great job, but that's part of my philosophy. It always has been to to have a very diverse toolbox and be able to streamline it in to fit the needs of certain athletes. Like, I always give a very basic general analogy of, like, squat. I, you know, we did Big Squat Wednesdays since I've been started in 1992. People have changed it. The guys that work with me squat different days, but generally, like in a college setting, big squat Wednesday for the whole team is probably going to be either a front squat or a back squat, unless you're injured or possibly a quarterback. Hmm. Where, where big squat Wednesday in our program, you might see four or five different variations of squats. You might see guys on a pitch shark bell squat. You might see guys on. Uh, winning bell squat. You might see guys doing safety bar uh, traditional squat. You might see them doing safety bar front squat. You might see guys doing barbell squat. You may be seeing guys doing a two-kettlebell anterior loaded squat. You may see a guy do a barbell split squat. But at the end of the day, big squat Wednesday still big squat Wednesday. It's just, it's just a different big squat Wednesday. What's up with this uh, Friday pump session? Don't you have a set training session where the guys get to kind of go in there and just uh, blast out their biceps and stuff like that? Yeah, that's a, that's a uh, Friday gun show led by our linebacker crew, Luke Keekley and his crew. We've got about, we'll have anywhere between 15 and 20 guys on Friday. Listen, man, I got to get in on that training session. I got to get in on, in on one of those jacked and tan workouts. We got to figure this out, House. The problem is they're trying to get jacked, but all of them got farmer's tan because they got to wear their jerseys. They got to understand yeah. the tan is 50% <laughs> of it. <laughs> oh, I know. It makes you look twice as big. <laughs> it's out, that's the fun session of the week because that's, that's their session. Like, we'll give them a little direction, but they're in there just makes it. I want them to be. Like, I'm, I'm a big believer. In, you guys have trained and structure your whole life. Uh, all right. I'll go out go out and have some fun once in a while in the way. Right. What's been the biggest change? What, what's been the biggest change in terms of, uh, recovery over the years? I think that when I look at strength training, um, it doesn't seem like a ton of things have changed, but 
things have changed in, in terms of recovery. I mean, people are learning more all the time about hydration and their sleep um, and how we can better recover from these tough workouts. And in the NFL, man, how are you recovering from these games? Yeah. Uh, as we all know now, more people and, and the real smarter ones, I think the first thing the, the professional athlete learns is how much nutrition helps in recovery. Mm. Like early on in your career, you know, you're living that, you know, you 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 may not be settled down yet, so you're eating out a lot. And then all of a sudden, a few years later, you're hiring a chef and you're speaking more to the nutritionist. Sleep has shot out of the cannon in the last what two or three years. Yeah, everybody's talking about sleep, but I, you know, then you have the modalities: hot and cold contrast. A lot of people now using the Normatec as a great way for, excuse me, uh, recovery. Right. A lot of guys do a lot of soft tissue work. You know, massage therapy seems to be high. You know, some people believe in the cryo units, the cryotherapy. Uh, me personally, I'll, my number one go-to for just overall stress relief, if you want to call it CNS regen, is I like going to the float tank. Yeah. yeah I've heard good things. I've never I'm tried it. What do you feel that does for you? For me, it's just, like I said, it's a complete one hour of me getting into a frame of mind and shut down it, it, you know sensory deprivation i mean i it the first the first time i went in the tank i'm a little claustrophobic i was had a panic attack anxiety couldn't do it and now i use an open float room but just just my drive in there i know man i'm gonna be feeling great when i come out mm. it's just a complete relax and, and a true sense of like you can almost feel like the weight being lifted off your shoulders. Because you're a person who is so structured with every minute of your day planned out a week ahead of time that to not have any sensory, that seems like that would be very beneficial. You Even if you wanted sensory, there's none coming in to, to interrupt you in any way. Because I think there's a lot of merit to that, yes. Yeah. And then in terms of your, you know, in terms of training, you know, that's what I, I try to share with people all the time too, is like, um, we don't have to spend thousands of dollars and we don't have to spend, uh, all this time investing and thinking about recovery. Um, if we just train properly, um, we still have to recover from the workouts and nutrition and sleep. They're still important things, but if we just don't train like an idiot, then we can take out at least that variable. Well, and I, and I, I will a hundred percent say you're correct in that thing because since I've kind of altered my training plans and have become more diligent in just, I don't want to say, um, you know, like I call it meathead mobility and stuff, right? but that that's recovery in itself. Like one of the things I've learned at, at my age is I would prefer not to train in the weight room two days in a row. I need a day where I'm going to go to the gym I'm going to do some movement. I'm going to do some conditioning. I'm going to do, you know, I might, I might do, you know, uh, that, that in itself is, is, is improved my ability to recover from workouts. I, I used to go in the cold tub. I used to ice my knees. I used to do this. I hardly do any of that. My right. only real outside recovery is once a week, if I can get it scheduled or once every other week, I do, I do enjoy the flow tank, but 
I used to ice my knees every day. I used to go into cold tub contrast every day. I do none of that. Most of my recovery is the day after a lift. I'm going to do some type of mobility work. I'm going to do some type of conditioning. I might do some soft uh, self-myofascial release with some foam rollers and softball work. But for the most part, my training is my recovery. Who's the toughest and athlete you ever uh, you ever worked with? Toughest athlete? Yeah. What, is, that, is that question from Kingsbury? No, no. Just uh, I got to fire out a couple of questions to, uh, to you. Uh, King is Kingsbury one of the toughest? No, but he was. I Kingsbury was a good dude, man. <laughs> he he fought the good fight when he when he went through the the walk on trial. We used to try to break fools off, and man, his partner did. His partner had a hard time, but. He fought the good fight, man. We kept him on. He was a good teammate, a good guy to have around. I'm very, very happy. I, like, I really, I think he's doing a great job on his podcast. I mean, oh, he, God, yeah. The Ana Academy is uh, doing great. Yeah. And what a great fit that is for him to be with uh, Aubrey Marcus. I think it's a yeah, match made in heaven right there. Yeah, so, toughest guy. Well, that's easy, Steve Smith. <laughs> yeah yeah that's i played with steve smith at uh santa monica city college played football with him and uh yeah, he, he crushed me too he just absolutely leveled me <laughs> he uh he uh he blocked me on what so what happened was, was a few weeks prior he caught the ball over the middle and uh i don't i don't know what the hell's going on i'm just like i'm a linebacker i'm at santa monica city college my first year playing uh any sort of college football and I'm excited. I'm like, oh, I got an opportunity to hit somebody. Practice, you don't have that many opportunities to really clobber somebody. And, uh, you know, his hands are over his head and stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm going to be aggressive, you know. And uh, I nailed him, you know. And the coach has flipped out. <laughs> They're like, this is Steve Smith. They're going nuts, you know. And I'm like, I don't know who Steve Smith. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't understand. I don't have any idea how good this guy is. I just you know, just leveled him. Well, it was about, you know, two weeks later, um, our quarterback is scrambling, rolling out of the pocket. And man, he just, he leveled the ever living crap out of me. He just annihilated me. And I got back up and I was like, just kind of pretending that, you know, I was fine, but I was very like, very dizzy and woozy. And uh, all the players loved it. I was the only white guy on the team. They all celebrated and uh, continued to talk <laughs> trash in a locker room. One guy, one guy was like, uh, my number was 52. They're like, 52 loves having his feet up in the air when he's on the football field. I'm like, oh, I'm never going to, I'm just never going to live this down, you know. But yeah, he absolutely killed me. And it was great to see him become a pro and become a Hall of Famer because now I can at least say, hey, at least it's somebody that's uh, an amazing football player, right? Yeah, he, you know, I got, I was fortunate. I coached him in college and pro. So, Wow. It was a very it was very cool to see that and he yeah, he was special. He's he not big. I mean how how big is this guy? Five five nine, hundred and ninety pounds. And every play yeah, was a, every play was a fight, right? Yeah, he's not afraid now. Don't he's definitely not afraid. He 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 had a he you know, the old Duracell commercial, I dare you to knock it off. You're right. Well he he had about a whole pack of Duracells on his shoulder. Yeah. And that, that's what made him successful. He lived with his, his competitive fire. That was it, man. He was going to prove everybody who didn't think he was going to make it wrong every 
single day, practice or game. Best best practice player I ever coached in college. And you can't teach that. No, you you're not teach teaching it. that. I just so That's so aggressive. And even at that position, it's rare. You know, you don't, you just don't really see that from a, a receiver. And he played big. He played as if he was like six six. You know, but uh, you know, he's okay. amazing. We played UNLV was his junior year in in Salt Lake. I saw him block a guy through the end zone and over those like uh, advertising pylons. You know, like to have in the end zone, like the right. giant foam front, well, right over the top, fifteen yard penalty, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was, yeah, a... he was. He was not going to be denied in anything he did, and and I and, I, and he is a Hall of Famer. I hope when it's his turn that they give him a true evaluation on yeah. what he did in that position, and his numbers are Hall of Fame worthy. But the fact that he's, you know, he did it in such a unique way and in, in a stature that's not looked at as most of these six, two, six, three type wideouts. And he, he played six ten, mm-hmm. and he was five nine. Yeah. He wasn't flashy. He played, he played almost like very angry. You know, he just was fired up all the time. Oh yeah. 100, but a great guy off the field, man. Great family. What man. about, He's uh, good, good, good people. What about athletic wise? Uh, who's the biggest freak? There's got a, there's probably a couple of them. Well, Steve's up there. A kid, a couple of kids, guys wouldn't know. We had a kid at Arizona State named Terry Richardson. Who, golly, he was tremendously athletic. Boise State, I had a couple. I had a kid, a tight end, Dave Stahelski, had a four oh four oh two hang clean, mm. six fifty squat. Wow. Uh, 415 bench, 38 and a half burst. He ran the 40 and 453 and had a short shuttle at, at 405. So, oh my God. And that was, was in the early 90s. So he he was a freak. Louisville, I had a kid, Scott Long, who was a tremendous athlete, a wide receiver. Those guys stick out. Of, those, those are guys stick out right away. We, but I mean, if I went through the rosters, I mean, those, but those guys, Terrell Suggs was tremendously athletic. Some of my big offensive linemen were, were tremendously athletic. But those guys, like when you look at like measurables, they stuck out in the weight room world as far as measurables. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what's your kind of overall philosophy with some of these guys um, when it comes to, you know, people always just kind of think of strength, but it is strength and conditioning and there's a lot to account for. So, um, you know, what's kind of the overall picture with uh, the Carolina Panthers in terms of uh, what they're doing? So I always look at the, I always base my strength cycles off of what my goals in the running plan are. And it's very condensed in the, the NFLs because the, the amount of time we have available to us is so much less than the college setting where you have eight weeks of off season, six mm. weeks of spring. 12 weeks of summer. We have five weeks to get them ready for OTAs. And then they're gone for six. They've been gone for like two and a half months. We get them on site for about a nine week program. Five of them are like spring football, excuse me, four spring football mini camp. We'll have them for about five. And then phase two, our coaches will be available to them also on the field. And then they're gone for five weeks. 
than its training camp. So it's a different, it's a totally different model than I've ever had because of the small amount of time with them. But we always look at it field work first, strength work inside second, and try to build the components of the field work for that day to tie in with what we're doing in the weight room. So, for example, on Wednesday, on the day we squat, we do we do no linear or lateral type of real running. That's more of a plyometric type response day. Mm. So we'll we'll go through a thorough warm up where we'll do glute act. We'll do an activation period, a core period, dynamic flex period, in place mobility period, and then we'll go into uh, depending on the levels like. We break our groups up into outside the box, front seven, level two, and then front seven. So I'll have the interior. My assistant, Brett Knee Neighbor, has the level two. And then Jason Bengucci has the outside the box. And then we, they design their programs slightly different than mine because their, their athletes are different than mine. Right. So we may do low impact, lower body plyos, and they may do a little bit more demanding. And then we then we'll we'll do a lot more uh, upper body type plyometric type of deal. So it's very it, it it ties into what the we look at we look at from a conditioning standpoint versus strength or what not or field work is a better way to say it. And we try to tie in the components the best we can. So on Tuesday, which is our accessory day in the weight room, which is our for guys who follow the West Side and those types of models, is your your week your your really day of weak point building. Hmm. That's our that's our big conditioning day because it's a very light day in the weight room, so we can invest more time in standard type of conditioning modalities to build up the aerobic uh, the anaerobic base they need to participate in the game. Who's uh who's been a, a big uh, mentor to you? over the years? Well, obviously, the the people that I respected a lot were those who were the pioneers of the game. And fortunately, I got to meet a lot of them. And, and they were inadvertently mentors by the fact that they were willing to share knowledge with a young and aspiring strength coach who was just looking for anything he could get his hands on. Mm. So besides the coaches that I was fortunate to work with, the, the two big strength coaches early in my career that I was really mesmerized with were Mike Gentry at Virginia Tech and then John Gamble, who was a world champion powerlifter and world's strongest man competitor. Yeah. And he was at the University of Virginia at the time. Those were the two guys that were one of the first two guys that sent me there strength programs and man i studied those things meticulously they just trying to figure out the exercises and why and the hows and back then that was a, a big thing to a young strength coach reaching out and trying to find his path and trying to find his journey and trying to establish himself and, and be a creative and innovative mind in the field that these people were willing to give me information just because I wrote him a letter telling him I was a young strength coach trying to get better. What's some advice you would give to a young strength coach in this day and age trying to break into the industry? 
Well, you got me here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be slightly sarcastic when I say <laughs> this, but because I do, I do, I do believe that education is critical. But you got to get your heads out of the books. You got to get on the floor and learn to interact with people and learn how to coach. We have too many. Like you talked a little bit earlier about the data, the you know, we have too many young strength coaches who are extremely intelligent, but they're too analytical. They're they're trying to do things that just don't work when you're talking to an athlete who we have to remember, most of them in, in our world don't want to be there. They have to be there. Right. So you have to be able to communicate to them to give them the least sense that this is important to my career. And I do like the way these guys are doing things and they handle me. And you know what? I am going to come back tomorrow. No, nobody cares about the velocity-based training. They just care that they want you to know, you know, it goes back to the old saying, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right. And if you just go out there and stop bombarding them with analytics and, you know, talking like you're, you're a program voice out of a computer, you got no shot of winning. They don't, they're not going to give two pieces of crap about <laughs> what type of program you watch, you write, if they don't know that you be, you're trying to do it for them. We had a kid uh, show up here the other day, and uh, he brought a resume and uh, showed up in a suit. And uh, he's like, I want to intern. I'm like, well, you know, we said, well, we don't really have, you know, interns. Um, we don't need anybody to do anything like that, you know. And he's just like, I want to ner- lo- learn more about uh, strength and conditioning, you know. And so we're like, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Well, you can work out with us. The gym's free. Uh, anyway, the kid keeps showing up and uh, he keeps kind of hanging around us. He keeps asking questions and he's just... He's, uh, he's alert, he's paying attention to what's going on and he's, he's picking up information. So, you know, there's, there's other ways of going about doing it too, but, um, even just going to a gym, trying to learn from another weightlifter, try to learn from a powerlifter that knows what they're talking about. Uh, try to learn some stuff from a trainer, try to just whoever you can, uh, rub elbows with, rub elbows with, and in the process, uh, work on your education at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a guy like that. I mean, a guy like that comes in in a situation like that, you're almost like, all right, we'll find something for you to do. Yeah, absolutely. If you tell the guys, you mean the guy's trying to figure out a way to get to his career objective, and you know, Super Training Gym was the best available opportunity, and you gotta, you gotta appreciate that because I know as a young coach or or anybody who's aspiring to be something in their career. It's hard to come in cold. I mean, that dude, you know, cold call somebody. Right. I don't care how long, even at this age. Sometimes, like, man, I don't know this guy, man. Do I really want to call him? Or, you know, nowadays <laughs> it's a lot easier to send a text to break the ice, but right. there's nothing like face to face contact. Guy walks in like that. You're like, okay, let's see what this guy got. Then the guy keeps coming back. The guy, the guy starts to build some substance. Right. Okay, yeah, what he... is this, what's this guy like? This my guy has a little something to him. Yeah, he already has what it takes. You got another question, Andrew? Yeah, just uh, thinking back on some of the best uh, athletes that you've worked with, do any of them have any, like, habits in common? Like, you know, across the board, is there something that some of the best, you know, that you can kind of see a, uh, you know, like I say, yeah, like some habits that they have 
you know, across the board is, is there something that you can kind of pick out or pinpoint and be like, oh, Cam does this. And then you can think back, you know, oh, so-and-so at Arizona State did that. Like, is there, is there some kind of common ground? Yeah, not afraid to put in the work. The guys who are successful, even the most talented, somehow or some way they're putting in work. Now, it may not always be like they're great weight room guys or or stuff that are directly relate to myself, but their trade is their trade. Like I always tell people, and I learned a lot from guys like Steve Smith and Terrell Suggs who dominated on the football field and, and they were, you know, marginal in the weight room because you know in some ways they were like well i'm a football player and they understood it they did the best they could but you know they were my two best players but they weren't my two best weight room guys right and but when it came to their trade nobody was going to outwork those guys on the field so and it's just like anything else you you look at basketball players and with strength and conditioning you know, Kevin Garnett can't bench 185. He's one of the greatest players ever to play basketball. Why? Because he works his trade like no other. Right. So there's there, there's merit to that. So and I and I've had a lot of great players who have worked extremely hard in the weight room too. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to throw. I don't want to throw the weight room under the bus. But if you're looking at one aspect, is the effort that guys put in and how they put it in. Some guys are going to expend more effort into the specific preparation of their sport. Some guys are going to spend more emphasis on the general physical preparation of the sport. But at the end of the day, when those guys show up, you know one thing for sure. It's 100% I'm all in to get better. Or they don't show up at all because that means they're not 100% all in. And the guys who last have substance are the guys who understand and have figured out how to maintain a certain level of excellence, and it always has something to do with their ability to put in the, the work and the time. Uh, it's especially because like the draft is coming up, um, has anybody, for better or for worse, changed your opinion based on their uh, performance on the at the uh, combine? Yeah, that's a good question because you you hear that the combine can't can't hurt you or help you, but then yet you'll see guys jump up boards and you'll hear, well, he had a really good pro day workout or he had a really good combine. Uh, so in the truth, I, I would say, although people will tell you, yeah, yeah, the combine can affect you. I mean, you got guys, because now you have to go back and look at the tape and say, okay, this guy plays like this, but, he, but his numbers at the combine Say he shouldn't play like this. What? Where, where? So you have to. You start trying to to connect dots. Why? Why is this? Like you see the guy who dominates as an offensive lineman, but he runs a five eight forty and bench presses fourteen reps at two twenty five. Mm. You're trying to figure out, wait, this doesn't match. So now this guy's going to get graded down because of combine numbers when he's flat back and everybody out there. So I I always go back to and and this was a from a personal note, when my when my oldest son was getting recruited for colleges, and we would send out tape, you know, it, it became a height, weight, speed thing with him. It was, mm. oh, your son's a really good football player, but, and I'm like, well, what's the but? 
like, well, he's only five ten. He's only run before this. He, he, I said, what happened to being a really good football player mattering when the goal is to play football? So as much as as a weight coach, you're all in, you're all into the numbers and the data collection and all oh, this guy ran four four. I'll be the first one to tell you, don't come to me and recruit me and tell me, hey, house, this wide receiver ran ten one hundred at the high school track meet last night. Well, can he catch? And can he change direction? Because at ten one hundred ain't gonna do it. <laughs> right, right. He ain't running straight ahead of the game. And if he can't catch, it don't matter anyway. So it goes back to a lot of things like that. I always I I I'm a purist. I'm gonna watch the tape and the tape is gonna give me my answers. I think Peter's a good example of when you said how do they work? Like, what is it? Work ethic. Because mm. you, you, he is, we have one son that is, just could do anything. You gave him any ball, he was already like a superstar day one. And then our youngest son was going to make himself one. He had nice talent. It's not like he was clumsy or anything, but he just wasn't magic from the get-go that he was going to turn himself into what he needed to be. And so I used to always tell my husband, you better keep an eye on that one. Don't sleep on fear. <laughs> he I, is going he's to do it. That's like a little Steve Smithy right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, some of the training, you guys were mentioning uh, being strict on the squat and making sure people are squatting below parallel. Um does that always matter a lot with your athletes? Because, I mean, some people just have range of motion issues. Sometimes yeah. we're dealing with athletes that just got some really long limbs, and it's uh, difficult. So so what do, what do you do with some of these guys? Yeah, we, we take them to their natural squat depth. And fortunately for us, ours is still pretty solid, and I think that's because we do a good job in our, in our movement work. Right. You know, we're doing a lot of... Uh, banded activation work we do a lot of movement uh dynamic and again i think a lot of that happens because we do that before we enter the weight room you know we we, we go about an hour on the field and it, you know and to an hour in the in the, in the, in the uh, strength room so it's a two-hour process but again uh, i i am a i'm a big believer in that i've done research with uh, dr matt ray on squat depth and transferability into athletic performance you know, it, it's like anything else. Do you have to catch a clean with a with an athlete? Because catching a clean is part of a sport, mm. and squatting to below parallel is part of the sport of powerlifting. And it, it's it's not really a prerequisite to being an all pro in the NFL. But right. I always believe that you know when you lose your ability to bend you and move, that's when you'll lose your job in the NFL. You have to be able to bend and move. So. From an offensive lineman standpoint, obviously a guy who's 6'9", he may have some issues getting to what we would consider quality depth. But if if my whole thing is the pattern, if the guy can open up his hips, his knees track in line with the shin, you know, we, we're, we're eliminating butt weight, a very good uh, spinal position and posture, then I'm okay if the guy's not hamstring, you know, if he's hamstring parallel versus top of the thigh parallel, I, 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 I'm, I'm envisioning solid mechanics. I, I think we could 
I think you can improve. I mean, you know this. You can improve depth. And like right. I've noticed in my age, like as I, and for whatever reason, uh, mechanics, body changes, uh, wear and tear, who knows that. I, I prided myself on being a very deep squatter in competition that it, it pains me now for whatever reason with a straight bar on my back, I cannot break parallel or whatever. Maybe I need, you know, like anything else, I, I don't have any, I train by myself because I train at all crazy hours of the day. That's why when I'm around you guys, you and Jesse, I take advantage of professional powerlifting eyes to help coach me. But yet you change the lever, like with a safety squat bar and the way that I rack it, I can break parallel. So it's, it's something, something that I need someone smarter than me watching me, giving me, okay, is it thoracic? Is it my hip? You know, is it my ankle? Because why, why with a different lever position, I can get there versus that. I, I'm not smart enough to coach myself with that. Mm-hmm. You just watch and take it. So that's where I think everybody needs a critical eye. And, you know, if you're chasing, like to me, I'm chasing stuff in my training that's way different than when I was trying to be as strong as I could as a competitive power lifter. Uh, people go, man, what, you competing still? I go, yeah, I'm going to do some odd, I was, like I was telling you on the text, I'm going to do an odd lift beat because I like to compete and I like to do things that at least give me some sense of accomplishment. I mean, you know, you've been, you've kind of followed my path. For three years, I was chasing, I wanted to deadlift 500 again. I wanted to deadlift right. 550 years old. And everybody's like, oh, is that your best? Remember, I go, no, I've pulled 600 several times. Oh, then why is 500 important? I said, because it's important now. Like, that's my now. Uh, that's my now strength. And I missed it. I missed it a year ago at 50, and then I came back at 51 and did it. And a lot of it was uh, when, I, when I was out of California and got to work with you and Jesse and you guys being uh, very helpful and giving me tips and then listening to Ed Cohn send me tips and, mm-hmm. and Matt Wenning send me tips and thrills and this and that, and it all came together on uh, last, uh, you know, this past February that I got to do it. And, and now again, uh, my, my windows of opportunity are very narrow because of my schedule and just happened that this odd lift meet is on a weekend I can do, and I'm going to go, go mess around and do some odd lift training. When you, uh, do your squats, you have the bar kind of high, you have the bar low. Where do you have it? For barbell? Yeah. Yeah, I was a I was say I'm a low bar squatter. I tried high and I know I was I was getting better when I was out there the last time, but like I said, and I, it's hard to judge where yeah, I don't like my wife hadn't watched me squat barbell squat in a while. I just I don't know, I think it might be something with my right hip, but that's mm. where I need a guy like Kelly Sturette to do some uh, evaluation on me. Yeah, to go in there and smash on it. Do you uh, utilize yeah, box squats with your athletes? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we do a dynamic effort squat with my front seven. So they're actually doing a safety squat bar box squat in their training. What do you feel the now, advantages of a, of a? What do you feel the advantages of a box squat? Well, obviously, it can help with uh, range of motion development because now you can set a athlete where he's at a comfortable range of motion and if you can build his mobility, you can drop the box an inch and improve 
the ability to increase range of motion. Also, like Louie, you know, discussed back in the day when we first started box squatting, I think it's very conducive to break the eccentric and concentric chain because our guys are going to start in a static loaded position. Now, we we don't necessarily teach the relaxing of the hip flexors or you see people who rock back because our guys are never in that position. We teach what I call the cloud technique, that you want to be loaded and rigid and ready to explode out of that position. So the box is a cloud. If you go down too fast or you relax on the box, you've fallen through that cloud without a parachute. That thing is going to happen. So if you, if you barely touch the cloud, the cloud will support you. It will also put you in a position that if you held that in proper position and I removed the box, you should still be able to hold a quality pause position. So ours, ours is to get them into that position so that when the ball snaps, they learn starting strength, applying force to the ground as they would if they were in their stances. So we use that with our bigs primarily because except for our linebackers, our, our, our interior line and tight ends are in three-point stances where they're going to be locked and loaded. How do you utilize uh, some of the products I shot out to you over the years, like the hip circle and the slingshot? Hip circles are friggin' they're, they're money. Uh, we use the slingshot in cases. I'll go first with the, the slingshots because we'll use those for guys who are coming off shoulder injuries uh, as a progression to get them back to full range of motion. So we'll, we'll use a board pressing and then we'll, the first comeback after uh, shoulder surgery when they're starting to do full range of motion barbell movements will be with a slingshot. Are they kind of like, what the heck is this thing? Because they get to lift more weight. They kind of get fired. They kind of get excited by it. Oh yeah, we we have not used. See, that's one. Uh, we've not gone to that to that level yet, where we're like, all right, we're going to go overload. <laughs> right, right. My guys are freak. My guys are freaky strong, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to lie to anybody. I'm a little. I'd be. I'm a little hesitant to to let some of these dudes take off in that manner. Yeah, that's yeah. That's why we'll use it more for guys coming off injury or or guys who are seasoned ten year plus vets that we just need to help save their joints during the season. Oddly enough, so I don't really use it for that purpose either. I don't go all crazy in it uh, all that often. Yeah, I mean, I see you guys use it a lot for, I've seen you use it for like back offsets. Yeah, I use it a lot for extra work, extra volume. And then uh, the slingshot, uh, the hip circles are, are huge. We use that for all types of lateral band work like we do. We've done a, a program to work on lateral mechanics and, and gluten and groin f- strength and flexibility where we'll do like a suicide shuffle with them with our offensive linemen mm. in a pass setting situation. So say, okay, you're going to shuffle five, five yards back, kick slide five yards under the finish line, three yards back, one yard back and do movement patterns like that to enhance resistance you use that with a goblet squat or two kettlebell squat tremendous amount of activation in the glutes and hips and that's one of the that's a really good position for alignment especially offensive alignment because you can almost simulate hand position and, and you can work different range of motion and squatting patterns 
keeping the knees out, track a huge amount of contraction of the glutes and hand, uh, at, excuse me, glutes and hips. While you have the kettlebells, you put your hands in a in a position almost like you're in a pass protection. Position. Right. And then you know the typical clam. We use them for all. Yeah, the the hip circles are extremely popular with our guys. A lot of our what we call root 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 uh, excuse me reboot and activation work are done with hip circles. What's uh, something that you learned? Um, you know, over this long career, like what are some words to live by or a great quote that you, uh, that you've stood by for a long time, whether you've learned it from your parents, your wife, another coach, uh, just something that you can kind of lean on that always makes everything else make sense to you. When it comes to the training, the, the best one is just because you can, doesn't mean you should. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've always liked that one too. And. And uh, the older I've got is, you know, you, it's okay to make fun of yourself. <laughs> I mean, I just think you got to bring some, we're, we're, our jobs are extremely stressful. They're, they're highly demanding. And you, you got to let people know you're human too. And like, I, like our, like when our guys, you know, like to rib us and, you know, have fun. I, I'm, I'm fine with like everybody. Hey man, that dude just ripping you off. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, who cares? I'm, shit. I, I don't, I don't mind it. I, I, I can make fun of myself. How dare they make fun of Coach oh, my, House? <laughs> yeah, my, hell, my oldest son will make fun of me all the time. So, <laughs> and my wife, she, they're good at that. So it's just, you, learn, you just learn that after a while, man. It's, 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 it's serious business, but it's not, it's not serious if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh something that we have an honor to do and you know, we live in a country that affords us to uh allow us to go play around with some weights for a few hours every day, right? Yeah, I mean that's like I tell people all the time. I mean, like when I you know, when you see you know, you 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 know, our, the way our country's structured, I mean, you, how do you not praise those people who fight for our rights? Absolutely. We get to do we get I mean I mean, come on, come on, Mark, I think I speak for you. Have you really worked to you know, I haven't worked a day in my life. I mean, I've been <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's like, I mean, you go to super training gym and train with all your crew and that's your job. Like, you know, yeah, you're, you're doing a podcast and you're working on product development, but you're working on product development. That's part of lifting crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You yep, know, you're, just, you're going uh, around the world, making a better place to lift. You got everybody that ever knew you on 10 minute walks. I mean, my wife even does some 10 minute walks with me. I mean, but it's helped her out. Cause I'll even take the dog out for a 10 minute walk. Now I get so happy. You walk. guys send me those videos. I get so excited. I'm like, this is great. I like, got such a cool thing. It's, uh, it's bringing people together. You know, it's insane to think that, but, um, that's what happens. Hey, let's go on a 10 minute walk together because it's easier to do things in groups than it is to just go off and do things by yourself all the time. Well, it's different than like saying, "Hey, let's go for a thirty-minute walk." I mean, I, you hear ten minutes, and go, oh, that's not that long. And ten minutes always turns into like fifteen minutes. What I always tell everybody is, I'm always trying to, uh, per, like, I, I, uh, super training and some of the stuff I preach is like church. Like, once I get you in there, that's when I'm going to tell you what the real story is. But I'll do anything to get you through the door. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Got to lure you in. I, I appreciate. 
I appreciate you guys so right. much. Thank you guys uh, both so much your time for your time. And Joe, uh, as a man, I really have a ton of respect for you as a family man and as a professional. I love watching what you're doing. I'm motivated and inspired by watching what you're doing. The 500-pound deadlift got me fired up. I love seeing it, man. Just just keep it going. Keep it cranking, my man. Well, keep on, well, that's keep on keeping on for you, Smelly. It's like, Next year, I got to try to get out there and all season train at the new gym so Little Smokey and Filipino Thunder can see me live and in action. <laughs> yeah, those guys have no idea what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Coach. Uh, where can people find you if they want to follow along with what you're doing? Uh, the best of, I'm uh, at Big House Power on Twitter and Instagram. BigHousePower.com Big House is my website. Awesome, guys. I really appreciate it. Catch you guys later. All right. I'm not sure. Did she say she wanted to say something? Oh, no, I don't know. I don't think so. I hope not. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't hang up on her. Yeah. Maybe maybe they'll call back. (laughs) If it's that important, hopefully. Anyway, guys, I know that that was long-winded, but... uh, you know, that is one of the best strength coaches uh, in the world. I, I, on top of that, I wanted to mention that, um, you know, I didn't talk to him about like X's and O's. I didn't talk to him about three sets of three and 10 sets of two and these different things. You want to look up stuff like that on Coach House. You can find it all day long. You can buy his book. He has a very successful book that he uh, wrote years and years ago. Um but the reason why I didn't talk about that is because that's not what led him to be the man that he is today. It's not what led him to the success that he has. A lot of people have knowledge. I've talked to a lot of smart people on this podcast, but it's very rare. There's four or five people that I've ever had on the podcast out of all the people I've ever had uh, that really, truly inspire me and kind of pull me the way that uh, somebody like Joe Ken does. So that's the reason why I talk to him more about his relationship with his wife, his relationship with his kids. And to me, that's what I admire most. And I, I think when we look around and we start to kind of see what other people are doing, uh, we're really enamored by the cars, the homes, the, this, the, that, the, the new gym equipment that somebody purchased. And, Uh, the new shoes and the new, like we're just, we, it's human nature. We're going to always kind of be jealous of what we don't have, but the things that we do have and the people that are already in our inner circle and the people that are already close to us, you know, I, I advise people to stop chasing after other people. And you heard coach house say he went into the private sector. He went into just personal training. And after all these years, his, his whole dream, his whole goal, his entire life was to be an NFL strength coach. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to be involved in the NFL in some way. He stopped, he stopped coaching. Uh, he stopped being a strength coach altogether and uh, took that knowledge and, and took it into uh, kind of a more personal training feel. And then what happened? Then he got pulled up by the bigs, right? That's when he got a phone call from somebody at the Carolina Panthers. And so it, it's a good life lesson. You know, we're chasing after people that don't want to hang out with us anyway, or chasing after things that don't want to be part of our lives yet, or that we're not even ready for. These things will happen and you do have to be proactive and you do have to be aggressive. And yes, you do need to kind of forge forward. Um, But just kind of be cautious on how you do it. Like there's reasons why these things aren't settling into where they're settling into yet. 
It's because you're not to where you need to be yet. You don't have under your belt what you need. If you paid attention to the story, and I know it's long-winded, but if you pay attention to the story, it was really about him traveling a lot. And his wife even said, I wasn't going to allow the kid's education to get in the way of their knowledge. You know, you kind of think about that. Like, well, they had an opportunity to learn more because they moved around more. That's something I think about when my wife is like, hey, where's Jake? He needs, you know, he needs to take a shower. He needs to, he needs to get ready for bed. We're, you know, what's he, what's he doing? I'm like, oh, shit. Well, he's hanging out with grandpa. I'm not interrupting that because, first of all, I don't know how many more years my dad, my dad's health is great right now, but I don't know how many more years to be around. He's 70. And uh, also, like, you, you can't get that time back. You know, Jake, Jake will figure out a way to not be tired if he goes to bed an extra 30 minutes later, right? It's not it's not a, that big of a deal. What is a big deal is he's hanging out with his grandfather and he's over there like digging ditches because they're going to lay down some concrete because they got all these plans going on for for the summer. What's important is that they're together. You know, those, those are the things that are important. So, you know, in your quest to uh, strive to be better every day, uh, make sure you're paying attention to the big picture and that you're not, uh, you know, stepping over dollars to pick up pennies, as they say. Anything to add, Andrew? No, I, I was really inspired by, uh, you know, them talking about their journey early on. And I'm not saying that I'm like, you know, scratching for pennies or anything like that. But, you know, I'm not quite where I want to be. But hearing them talking about like, yeah, we, you know, we, we sacrificed so much just to make sure we were okay. Like, you know, we're going to sacrifice here to make sure that this side is okay. And, you know, it, it reminds me of like kind of what my girlfriend and I are doing right now, you know, like, right. and honestly, like when I first, uh, you know, came on board with super training, she was instantly the, the breadwinner. She supported me. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have been able to make it like, you know, so now things are working out better, but it like hearing uh, stories about you in the van, like I've heard that before, <laughs> you know, hearing you and Andy, how you guys were, you know, you came up and then now you guys have had success, but you know, it's the same thing with them. Um, that, that gets me way more fired up than, you know, whether it be the, the new gym equipment here or whatnot, it's uh, hearing the struggle because like, I, I feel like I'm still in the middle of that. And I just like, you know, it, it gives me more motivation, more, you know, hope. And yeah, so I, I, I absolutely loved when they were talking together. Yeah. And, you know, like <laughs> this, uh, you know, this show, um, I don't think will uh, ever turn into like love line or anything like that, but, uh, <laughs> we, you know, I, I think, uh, we owe it to people to talk more about relationships a little bit because I think that it's helpful. And I think as men, we just don't, nobody ever wants to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think uh, even like Joe Rogan, he had his podcast for many, many years before he ever uh, unleashed, you know, some of the th shit that he went through as a kid. And uh, Lewis Howe has a similar story where he was going on and on with his life and he was angry and he didn't know why. And um, he had some horrific shit happen to him as, as a child. And it affects everything that you do and it affects the relationships that you have. And uh, when I'm saying relationship, it's not always... Um, husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend. Sometimes it's a relationship that you have with your dad, your mom, mm -hmm. uh, even just your next door neighbor, your business associate, your, you know, person that runs your podcast, like <laughs> all these different things. You, you, our goal is not to, um, 
you know, just go in the gym and like lift better every day. That that's kind of our fitness goals. And that's where we can put points up on the scoreboard when it comes to strength, when it comes to fitness and when it comes to health. And when it comes to that kind of stuff, we need a sound body in order to have a sound mind with the two things need to, uh, come together. They need to be in a relationship of their own almost. But when it comes to the relationships we have outside the gym, those things are really important. Um, to to get us to where we want it to be in life and those are ultimately those are going to be the things that uh you know you look at arnold schwarzenegger i was sharing with my son the other day i was saying you know he had this heart attack uh situation or he had this you know extra heart surgery thing going on and it's uh really horrific but all i could think about and i do think that arnold has a girlfriend nowadays but um I, you know i, I don't want to speak out of line too much but how much does that girl care about him in terms of uh, his first marriage and where that was? And mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So yeah. anybody that you pick up after your Arnold Schwarzenegger is not going to be, they're not going to care about you the same. My point is, is that a lot of these people that we look up to, a lot of them are going to die in a very lonely way. Um, Arnold obviously would have a lot of people by his side, but to not have a significant other there when you're one of the quote unquote kind of greatest people to ever walk the face of the earth, he is in some way when you think of accomplishments and what the guy was able to do. Um, obviously there's great leaders and there's great doctors and people who've done all kinds of different things. I'm not downplaying any of that. I'm just saying that Arnold is definitely in that conversation. He was the governor of California for God's sake. And he was, a uh, uh, an immigrant and all different kinds of things, you know, but yeah. he, I mean, he, anything he did, he did it to the best of his ability. My point is again, kind of going back to that relationship stuff. Um, it, it's not easy to figure out. And as you're going through all these ups and these downs, all these ups and downs, it, it's easier to look outside, you know, like as, uh, his wife mentioned, his wife just said it real quick like that, but it made a lot of sense. He's like, you know, he, he could go outside the marriage, but then he'd have to kind of start all over again. <laughs> yeah. And it's, she, you know, obviously you can <laughs> just say that in passing because it doesn't hurt because it didn't actually happen. But, right. um, yeah, you do. You would have to start all over again. I mean, where, where is that going to end? Are you just with different women all the time, uh, because it's fun or whatever, as you get older and older, there can be a point where you're like, man, I'd love to just have somebody to sit here with me, uh, while I'm watching this movie. Or if you get sick and you end up hospitalized or they end up hospital, you know, whatever the situation is, it's nice to have somebody to be there for, or it's nice to have somebody by your side. Yeah. But yeah, man, that's all I got. Um, Everyone who's listening right now on the live stream, we will be back with the greatest of all time. I just saw him. He's in the building, Ed Cohn. Give us till about, probably about 2.15. There you I'll go. I'll say uh, 2.15 p.m. Uh, we are on the West Coast, the left coast, the right coast. I don't know. Best coast. Best toast. Ooh. 2.5 hours we went with Coach House, I think. That yeah. was awesome. That's yeah. a like all time PR. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Strength is never weakness. Weakness is never strength. Bye.